The following contains heavy spoilers of episodes 1 and 2. Watching each episode in their entirety is strongly advised. Previously on the Heroes of Providence Eternal Genesis Trilogy, in episode 1, after waking from a nightmare of your dear friend, Sister Ari, being abducted by a dark force, you and your intrepid band of heroes answered a mysterious summons to the floating arcane city of Sanubis. There, the wise founder of the city, Father Geno, besought your help in tracking down the abducted beloved priestess, Sister Ari, last seen in the Hoti Desert. With the company of Father Geno's trusted Templar commander, Sacris, you boarded Captain Tumult's ship for passage across the dangerous seas, where you fought off bloodthirsty pirates and arrived in Tulumasha port just in time to intercept a dastardly courier who revealed information on Sister Ari's location the ominous obelisk of the lost. Barely surviving deadly subterranean traps, you battled sand monsters and caught Ari just before nearly falling to her death. Episode 2 began with Sister Ari critically drained of body and soul and in need of the mythical healing waters legends whispered were hidden deep within the shadows of the Parehu jungle. With great haste, you traversed the scorching sun of the Hoti desert and desolate salt hives only to be greeted at the jungle border by the roar of a towering dreadosaur who nearly chased you off a cliff, only to be rescued on the edge of the abyss by tiger vine lords. Your fearsome new allies led you to a treetop village where the grandmotherly healer, Tapana, agreed to guide you through the jungle to the holy place nestled deep in the Dark Fang Mountains. Braving the terrors of the Dark Fang descent, you discovered the fount of living waters and fought off the corrupted Pardis tribe long enough for Tapana to rescue Ari's physical body and unveil the mastermind of the abduction, High Arcanist Irakon Saul. Ari's physical body now restored, but soul still fragmented, Sacris suggested an ancient device held by his estranged people located in the Imperium Peaks, the soul compass that could locate the stolen part of Ari's essence. In need of transport, you journeyed to the neighboring steampunk city of Pretensio, rescued an affable reptilian fisherman, and were reunited with Captain Tumult, hiding from the local crime lords. Aboard Tumult's ship to the Imperium Peaks, Ari revealed her connection to High Arcanist Irakon Saul and her guilt for failing to save his wife and daughter Anza from death a decade earlier. Finally arriving in the heavenly Imperium Peaks capital city of Moreth, you strong-armed the greedy Imperium Coin Master to grant you entry to the Golden Cathedral home of the soul compass Sacris needed to locate Ari's fragmented soul. As Ari scanned the globe for her stolen essence, you battled monsters of nightmare that poured forth from dark portals. Just as Ari discovered the location of her stolen essence, the image of High Arcanist Irakon Saul himself summoned an unimaginable surge of energy overwhelming your heroic company. Of the shield bearers who withstood the overwhelming torture of the blast, sealing the portal, the mighty Sacris fell, burnt beyond recognition, giving his life for you, his family, the ones he loved. Now you awake the next day with a heavy heart, but a clear vision of what must be done. The fate of all will be decided at the Tower of Periculum. Welcome to the final episode of the Genesis Trilogy, Chapter 3, Periculum.
My name is Donald Derm. Hobbies include long walks on the beach. No, I'm just joking. Uh, hobbies include very many projects, bird watching and hockey. I uh, actually work for the International Space Station. I'm a flight controller there under the Ethos branch. And I play Armando. A boisterous human titan from the steampunk city of Pretensio, Armando craves action. He travels the world driven to shield the weak and exact justice upon tyrants. Hi, I'm Sam Wilkinson, father of two, a biomedical tech. Been playing role-playing games for many, many, many years. And I play Kaz and Heroes of Providence Eternal. A mysterious arcanist hailing from the Verdelvin forest, his childlike optimism conceals far more than meets the eye. My name is Heather Mesha, and my favorite hobbies are canoeing and mountain biking and horseback riding and growing orchids and hiking is probably one of my favorite things because I love to adventure and explore the world around me. And developer of the character named Issa. A keen elven archer raised in the Whispering Plains, she yearns to bring light and life to the world while protecting the innocent from the ever-encroaching evils of the realm. Hi, my name is Kyle Ware. I like to write and game a lot. Board games are a big passion. Console, PC games, all that good stuff. Weightlift, listen to music and podcasts. I play the part of VNR Adventures. A devout Molten Reaver priest, born deep under the volcanoes of the north, he has sworn paternal care of the mysterious young elf Kaz as he tries to uncover the mystery of his own beloved father's disappearance. I'm Jared Pearson. My favorite hobbies are probably tabletop games. Dancing is another one I've really gotten big into in the past year or two. Taught myself guitar um, over YouTube, you know. Modern era, woohoo! <laughs> and uh, I play Leo Kinvelox. A cunning feline lean-on rogue, born in Perehu jungle with keen eyes and sharp blades. He has a heart to fiercely defend the persecuted and make evil fear the shadows. I'm Jonathan Reichel, the founder of Heroes of Providence Eternal and the lead developer. My hobbies, uh, I'm a big gamer. You can kind of understand that being that I created a game. I enjoy graphic design, beatboxing, vocal percussion. Oh yeah. Traveled six of seven continents, including a, kind of a life goal of visiting the Shire in New Zealand where they filmed The Lord of the Rings. That's kind of a mecca for me. Third degree black belt in Taekwondo. I trained in Taekwondo for about 12 years and uh, petting my cat. Quidditch does require a decent chunk of loving. The Legend Master is essentially the lead storyteller and the referee of these games of legend. The Legend Master, or LM, is responsible for telling the core story. If you are the Legend Master, think of this as a way for you to bring the best out of the people that you're playing with and find a way to create the moments that are dynamic, engaging, and that will truly last in your hearts, minds, and memories for years to come. We are very excited to dive right into our third and final episode of this Genesis trilogy. At this moment, all five of our heroes have already come up with tonight's ulterior motive for their individual characters. That's their secret objective that we don't know about, just they know about, and that they will be working towards privately as we're communally working towards the grand goal of the Genesis campaign and the mysteries that will be unfolding. So without further ado, welcome back, Kaz, V, Leo, Armando, and Issa. Hey, guys. Alrighty, let us go ahead and dive into our final chapter of the Genesis Trilogy. Everyone take a deep breath with me. <sighs> Alright. Now, as you may recall, the conclusion of our episode two was a fairly heavy moment. And that moment took place here 
at the Imperium Peaks. It is a dark morning in the Imperium Peaks. Today, the sun did not seem to rise through the somber clouds of the heavens. Sacris Natal, a vigilant Lux commander, this avian veteran was forged in war. When his parents were brutally slain in the Siege of the Spires, he was burdened to raise his younger brothers alone. Determined to serve, he rose in the ranks to Supreme Commander of the Lux Imperium forces. Repulsed by the dogmatic corruption he saw poisoning his culture, he sided with Father Geno in the Imperium Revolution and shielded him through the founding of the floating free arcane city of Sanubis. Brilliant, calculating, and gruff, he hid his deep wounds of body and soul to protect what little light he saw left in the world. Last night, he fought valiantly by your side. He shielded you from death, hmm. was tortured beyond recognition, and gave his life to save you, his family, the ones he loved. The Imperium High Priests, though conflicted, were compelled against their will by the good Lux people to honor a hero that served them through many wars before the revolution, with the traditional funeral wrappings of a High General. The journey upon the South Road from the Imperium Peaks to the arcane city of Sanubis together is somber and solemn as you bear the body of your brother back to his home. As you approach the city of Sanubis, the sun does not feel as warm as it did when you left. And as you are elevated up into the floating city itself, and you walk the streets of Sanubis with the casket gliding behind you, it seems that the bustle of the city, as all of the people see the procession coming and notice the symbol on the casket, they freeze in their steps. They know who has passed. As you walk your way through the city, Sanctus, Sacris's brother who has joined you on this solemn voyage, bows to you as he takes the casket of his brother and those that have moved with you to the corridor of the city. The six of you make your way to the house of Esperus, the orphanage that Sister Ari helped to found with the help of Father Geno. Inside, you open the door and you see Father Geno in his study praying. He greets you warmly and he says, my family has returned. Please, come in. Tell me everything. Kaz will hide behind V a little bit and keep his head lowered. Hmm. I'm going to walk in very quietly with a very somber expression on my face, knowing that Sacris died so valiantly, so I hold that valiance in my heart and that respect in my heart, but I'm still sad. And Father Geno says, why are you all so quiet? We have lost a dear friend of ours. Sacris has passed away in our protection.
He drops his book to the floor and buries his face in his hands. He stood by me when no one else did. He shielded me from death a hundred times. He was the son Amaris and I wish we could have had. And I never got to say goodbye. Ari from behind you moves forward, tears in her eyes, and she says, He was slain by Irakon through a portal. The High Arcanist teleported creatures beyond a distance that he could see. Geno says, That is not possible. Such power mortals are not capable of. Ari says, Irakon has somehow activated the Tower of Periculum. Father Geno's eyes go wide. El Shaddai, help us. I will contact all allies I have across Terrath. It may yet not be enough to stand against what is to come. What is the um, Tower of Periculum? Father Geno breathes deeply and he says, that tower is a curse, but was not always so. It was once crafted by the elves ages ago with the effort to study the glories of the heavens and the skies above. A place of great power, a place of great learning, but as most things that are wreathed in power can, the tower fell to corruption as the elves in their hubris attempted to use it to impose their vision upon the world. They enslaved the minds of the ogres that had abused them so and used them as a mighty force to invade the lands. At the cataclysmic conclusion of the Ogre Wars, those of my order and of many others banded together and sealed the tower for all time. Yet it seems the protections we placed upon it were not enough, and it has been reawakened by a darkness the world should not have seen. So is that where we head next? <sighs> Father Geno breathes deeply as he tries to move his glasses up to, up his nose with a quivering hand. He feigns a smile and he says, Life is not worth living if we forget what good we fight for. Before you leave at sunrise for the Tower of Periculum, we shall remember Sacris tonight in the Hall of Heroes. Yes. And he approaches each of you individually, blesses you with a warm embrace, and he presses his fingertips to your forehead and attempts to fill you with a moment of peace as a tear rolls down his cheek. When he's doing that to me, I'm going to kind of... I'm so sorry, Father. I I felt that he shouldn't uh, go in there, and I, I did all I could. Sorry. He embraces you tighter than you've ever been embraced, and he weeps with you. When he gets to me, I'm going to stop him and look him in the eyes, because he is, you know, still taller than I am. And I have such respect for this man that I don't know very much about. And I'll remind him that every day that Sacris spent with you was a day that fulfilled his mission and his heart. If it wasn't for his actions and that of Armando, we would have all been slain that day. So though he is no longer with us, he died in absolute valiance and truth to the one true God and in service to you. And he did it with a brave and loving heart. And I would much rather remember that than just remember the sorrow that comes. And I will not stand to let Irakon walk away with this without any type of punishment. He looks you deep in the eyes and he says, that is my fervent prayer. 
as he approaches you, Brother Armando, and he looks up at your towering form, he says, I'll kneel down to him, <laughs> to his level, and I'll kind of put my hand on his chest, on my chest, I mean. And with a quivering hand as he reaches out to you, he touches your forehead and he closes his eyes. And in a moment, he shares the memory that you have of your final moment with Sacris, and he starts to quiver physically as he sees what you endured with Brother Sacris. And his eyes flash open in a moment, he says, They're alive because of you. And our dear Sacris. He looks at you and he looks at your shield that's uh, very badly burnt uh, and, and battered. And he says, My son, you have done more than could have been possible in that moment. I have done for which I needed done. He presses his hand to your chest, and he blesses your chest with a special blessing. Your console, I don't think he was alone. There was a dragon there. I was the only one that saw it. He pulls you off into the corner while V, Leo, Armando, and Isa are consoling each other and preparing to leave together. And he gets down onto a knee, so he's kind of at your level, and he whispers and he says, You say you saw a dragon, young one. Tell me what you saw. I'll describe the red dragon in the throne room. And Father Geno's eyes go wide and he says, that is terrifying news. I must bring this information to those that need it most. I fear that this journey may have more dire stakes than even I am prepared for. Thank you for telling me this. And he blesses your mind. Mm -hmm. And with that, he embraces you fully in his feathers, tries to smile at you, uh, thanking you wordlessly for the wisdom that you've just shared with him. He bows towards you all and says, I must prepare for tonight's memorial. Please get what rest you can. I will meet you at midnight in the Hall of Heroes. Do you need any help with us from us for the preparations? Or? I fear the only preparations that I need are those within myself, son. Me as well. He smiles knowingly at you and he bows. He returns to his study and his tears drop onto the book. And as the five of you slowly make your way out of the room, consoling each other in this somber moment, you return to your quarters within the city where you're staying. You freshen up from your journey, change into black robes or garments if you wish to, whatever would be traditional for your culture. The five of you and Sister Ari all join together and walk down the streets that seem much quieter than they normally are. And you approach the Hall of Heroes, a simple but ancient structure that used to be a place of worship back when this city was a part of the Lux Imperium Peaks. And it seems that a crowd has already gathered several hundred strong. Many faces that you recognize from the inn and throughout the city, dignitaries down to the poorest of orphan seem to be in attendance as they fill the room. And as you all approach the entryway of the room here, you have an opportunity to move wherever you wish within the room to take part in the proceedings remembering Sacris. So feel free to move yourself. I am contemplating. Yeah, I'm thinking about it as well. I it's feel fun. like I'm wherever the most of us end up. As you come in, most of the visitors are mourning and weeping and some of them are shuddering. The, the stronger types seem to desperately be holding back what they're feeling, but you can see that their armor and their swords that are in their hand are kind of shaking as they try to absorb the moment. And Ari positions herself here right behind Father Geno as she touches him on the shoulder and she whispers into his ear what she hopes will lift his spirits, though it does not. So in this moment, uh, Father Geno clears his throat. His eyes are red. You can see that he's been weeping for most of the evening and his hand is kind of quivering as he opens the tome that is before him, looks down at the tome and looks up at all of you. He breathes in deeply and says, nearly half a century ago, I was the leader of one of the seven halo cities of the Imperium Peaks. He kind of smiles, quivering, as his face darkens. 
I saw the truth of scripture being twisted by those in power. I begged the Imperium to change their ways and return to truth. Most scorned me. Sacris did not. He was the supreme commander of the Lux Imperium forces. He looks out upon all of you. He had ascended his mountain of prestige and needed no further cause. But he saw the truth of what was happening to our beloved people, and he did not stay idle. He sacrificed all he had to save what light he could in the world. He shielded me and our cause time and time and time again when the Imperium launched assault after assault upon my city. He mourned with me when my wife, Amaris, was slain in the revolution. When we lifted the top of our mountain free from the grasp of the Lux Imperium and moved it to found this floating city of Sinubis. Sacris was the might that kept us all grounded. This day we have not just lost a hero, but a brother and a righteous soul. May El Shaddai bring him the peace he fought for to his last breath, and may we be his living legacy forever. Amen. Mm -hmm. And he steps away from the podium, and Sister Ari approaches as she tries to comfort him, and she says, At this time, I wish to make available a moment for each that wishes to in their heart to say a few words for our beloved Sacris. And she backs up slowly and then makes room at the podium. Yes, I'll speak first. Sacris was a dear friend of mine for the brief moment that I knew him. We fought in combat many times before and he will be dearly missed. And I vow in front of you, I'll take a vow in front of you all, an oath that I will revenge his death. Mm. Father Geno, his face kind of tightens and he smiles as Father Geno notices that the blue ribbon upon your weapon seems to uh, illuminate with a flash of light as uh, something new seems to be written upon the ribbon of your weapon. Mm. Ari thanks you and she says, thank you, Armando. And she hugs you tightly. I neither knew Sacris very long, but the time I did know him, it was very evident that he was a man of virtue, righteousness. He stood for good in the world, and that's rare nowadays. The world lost something very great, but everything he stood for and everything he did is not lost. I hope that we all would continue on in the way that Sacris would, the way that he represented. And Father Geno deeply uh, murmurs, Amen, mm. as he bows to you. And Sister Ari hugs you deeply as she sheds a tear upon your shoulder. And Sister Ari whispers to the crowd, Does anyone else wish to share a moment of their heart for Sacris? Kaz is going to take out a knife, and he's going to take part of his mantle, and he's going to cut a part of it away. And he will say, This is a gift given to me by my mother so that I will always have family with me. Mm. And he takes it, the piece he cut off, and lays it on Sacris. Mm. 
and you see the golden symbol begins to glow slightly brighter as you do that. Mm. V will approach afterwards, and he'll say a small traditional Molten Reaver blessing Mm. over his body, and then he'll take a step back Mm. behind the crowds. And as you do that, the symbol upon the casket does glow slightly brighter as you do that. And Father Geno bows deeply from across the room towards your blessing. I have not known Sacris a long time, but I have known Sister Ari for a long time. I know that she fervently believed in the light in this world and was willing to step into the jaws of death itself to defend those that needed defending. Sacris was no different in his chivalrous character to step in and to be the sword and to be the shield when those who could not protect themselves needed saving. Though we lose a great warrior this day, we gain in knowing him. And within each of our spirits, I hope that we remember his heroism. And when trying moments arise as we go down this road in life, may we remember his strength, his steadfast nature his stoicism, which always got a little humor for me. And most of all, his deep respect and deep love for Father Geno, for Ari, the sacrifices that he made for them. Let us not forget those things, but let us also remember that he made this choice. He was a true warrior. And though he passed and we miss him, we have a great abundance to remember as well. And I'm going to go over and hug Ari. Mm-hmm. And she collapses into your arms and she weeps. Mm-hmm. I will try to push Sanctus towards the podium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Roll me a d6. Uh, okay, that's good. If yeah. he doesn't move, I'll do the teleport swap and okay. put him there. <laughs> All right. So Sanctus is smaller, younger than his older brother. And you notice that in the heat of the battle in the Imperium Peaks, Sanctus was slammed against the wall at the moment of the explosion that Armando shielded everyone from and Sacris gave his life for. And as Sanctus was thrown up against the wall, some of that arcane corrupted energy just sliced right through half of his face. And it did indeed blind him in one of his eyes. And you see that his scar is still very fresh and he has wrapped it in a holy red bandage that was provided to him from the priests of the Imperium Peaks. You can see that he's still in constant pain as a result of his very recent injury, but he did indeed make the entire trek. And as Cause approaches Sanctus, he looks down at you from his seven foot tall towering visage and he says, hello, young one, what can I do for you? Go speak of your brother. He tries to smile at you, but you can see that it just shatters him in a moment. And he says, I have so much to say, but I don't feel that I can. If you don't say it, you'll regret it forever. This is your last chance to say goodbye to him. And his lip quivers. I will grab him firmly on the arm. I never got to say goodbye to my older brothers. Mm. Powerful. You will regret it forever if you don't say anything. He looks you deeply in the eyes and then down at his own feet. And then he takes his gauntleted hand and very carefully rests it upon your hand that's touching him. And he nods and says, so be it. 
and he slowly makes his way, trying not to draw attention to himself behind the group of mourners. And as he passes past Father Geno, Sanctus hides his face. He seems very ashamed by something that doesn't seem apparent, but Father Geno seems curious as to why he would. And Sanctus approaches as Ari backs away and he clears his throat and says, I'm not much of a talker. My older brother was always better in command and better with words, but I will try. And he says, my brother's final words were, what is death in the eyes of eternity? Its meaning was veiled to me. In our final battle together, I lost half of my sight. Yet it took me nearly going blind to finally see that he was right. Years ago, I thought him a fool to abandon me and my brothers. His rank, his prestige, and the Lux Imperium to fight for a cause I did not understand. I understand it better now. So much I wish I had said to him. So much I wish I could still say. But I can't say this. I swear I will not let my brother, a far better soul than I, die in vain. I pledge myself to the cause that he believed in, Father Geno. I pray it will be enough. And he backs up ashamed. I'm going to walk up to Sanctus and I'm going to look him square in the eye, even though I'm a bit shorter than him. And I'm going to tell him, we all make mistakes. What matters is that we don't tread on to continue to make those same mistakes. Your brother would be very proud of you today for standing up and for joining something that he felt so passionate about that he gave his life for. And he looks down at you and you can see that under his unscarred eye, he does indeed uh, have a tear coming down and underneath his red bandage, you see a single drop of blood come down his other cheek. I feel like we should kind of like band around him and let him know that we know that what it's like to lose and to sacrifice. And we all do, all of us do here. But to let him know that, you know, even though he is not sacros, that his pledge has meaning to our hearts, at least to mine. And his face is buried in his hands as you say that. And Father Geno approaches and he puts his hand upon Sanctus's mighty shoulder and he says, none could ask for more. We are honored. And Father Geno blesses the chest plate of Sanctus and the evening continues and several others come up from the crowd and they speak their piece and the firelight of the candles and the fireplace above start to dim as the time passes and eventually the hall clears. I'd like to go over and talk to Ari for just a moment. She's moved her way back by the candle here and she's staring into the firelight and it's illuminating her tears as they pour down upon her dress. We've all lost in battle. We've all lost friends. We've lost family. It's okay to feel angry. It is okay to feel sorrow that's so deep, but let it also spur us on as we leave in the morning to do whatever we can to save those that we can save. Sacris would want that. He would want that for you. 
He would not want you to harbor any blame in your heart. So if you do, I pray that you let that go. He would not want that to stop you from doing all the good that you can. Vari says to you, Sacris shielded me when I was weak. I hope that I can do the same for you and for those that we love. And she embraces you deeply, and uh, you feel her teardrops upon your shoulder. And I give her a big, big hug and tell her that I'm there if she wants to talk. And then I move back over to say one final goodbye to Sacris. Just a final prayer over Sacris and a hand on his shoulder as I leave in appreciation. And you see the golden symbol, the holy symbol upon him glows brighter as you say that. I'm going to approach Sanctus mm-hmm. and say, Sacris would say this is a night for a drink, and I will hand him thrice filtered water in a little cup. And he lifts it up and he says, I know these glasses. How did you come to them? gave them to me. He gave them to you. You must be very special to him indeed. And his lip quivers in what he tries to be a smile. Hand is kind of quivering as he offers to clink glasses with you. Clink and drink. And he drinks and closes his eyes as he seems to savor the flavor in a very different way than he has before. Leo is definitely going to be lingering way longer Mm -hmm. and just kind of staring at the body. I think Kaz would as well. The evening comes to a close and you're able to get some rest and prepare yourselves for an early journey ahead. And the next morning, the sun seems a bit warmer than it did yesterday. Father Geno prays with you and blesses you before your departure. Uh, Father Geno? Yes, my son. And I kind of hold my ribbon up to him and I'll say, do you know what this is? This is my oath ribbon, Father. Have you heard of them before? You are one of the oath. I have heard of them. I am one of the oath, Father. You see how it's been tainted halfway? He delicately and very respectfully lifts it up and he starts reading the inscription and he says, oh my, indeed it has. I have unfortunately broken a couple of my oaths through my journey. Mm. Do you know how I could cleanse the oath ribbon? Only El Shaddai can fully cleanse, but in my years of learning and training, I have gained much skill in the healing arts. I will try. And he folds his hand upon yours and he prays with you and whispers very soft words. And you can see that some of those burdens, the darker lettering, starts to be cleansed and starts to turn back into a beautiful radiant light. But there are still a few on there that he says, I'm sorry, my son. I hope that what I have done will be enough for now. Thank you so much, Father. I will continue my journey. And he presses his hand right up here, and he fills your thoughts with warmth and a light, a radiant hope that uh, matches the beauty of the sunrise. And with that, the five of you and Ari begin their journey. Sanctus will indeed be staying with Father Geno as they begin preparations to make their way to the Tower of Periculum as well. But you must make haste. Your journey is urgent. Father Geno is likely in the midst of diplomatic relations trying to gain support for the effort that you're marching towards. So your journey continues and you depart the arcane city of Sanubis early that morning at sun's first light. You make your way north through the north road and you begin to approach the Molten River Heights. 
you see the darkness of the sky and the lightning erupting from above. And for those of you that have never been to the Molten Weaver Heights, of course, at least two of you have, you'll notice that there's a very unusual phenomenon. And there seems to be floating crags and mountain stones that seem to be levitating in the air that are just gushing lava that are not suspended by anything. So there's some kind of strange arcane physics that have twisted this land in a unique and beautiful yet terrifying way. And as you approach the Molten Weaver Heights, so from far across the way, you see a mighty, it looks like a half mile wide, massive bridge that indeed is the Igneum Span. As you approach, you have a moment to speak whatever you'd like. Uh, v, cause you've been through here before. You guys might have something to say as you approach the majesty and the terror of the Molten Weaver Heights. Hey, V. Yeah. What I don't understand is how your people, they wear armor, but you live in a hellhole like this. Does it get hot here? I'm kind of taking off some of my armor, maybe just <laughs> removing it. Well, our armor is forged from the mountain itself. So it, it stands up to the heat pretty nicely. And also get my skin, it's kind of uh, helps with the heat as well. Can I get some of that armor for myself next time we go through this area? Yeah, we sell it. You can go down to the markets once a year. <laughs> we open up the markets, get some rare metals. Once, once a year? Once a year. This is very rare. How much does this cost? It's very generous of them. <laughs> and you can use the discount code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if we, if we say that to... you're our friend, do we get like, you know, it, I know I know a molten reaver. <laughs> oh I'm half molten reaver on my mother's side. <laughs> All right. So uh, the mood is starting to warm, as is the temperature. And you do indeed make your way up to the Igneum Span. The Igneum Span is a mighty bridge that seems to be about half a mile long, slightly abbreviated for the sake of fitting on the map. And as you approach, you see a mighty dwarf that seems way bigger than dwarves should be. He seems to be one of the bigger lot. And he, he says to you, Oi, what are you doing here on my bridge? Who goes there? Hmm. Well, that's a large fellow. Can we just wait and he'll get hot from the bridge, maybe? All right. Now, as you approach, I would like for everyone to roll a D6, just standard D6. Cos will dig his feet into the ground and be like, ah, oh, okay. it's um, so Okay. Five, four, four, six, three. All right. Uh, so Kaz, uh, you rolled a three, and that happens to go perfectly oh. with your lore, so that's perfect. So as you approach Kaz, bits of the cloth edges of your robe start to ignite on fire due to the insane level of heat of this bridge. You would want to jump in the lava to cool off from the heat of this bridge. It is impossibly hot, and you feel like your eyelash is about to burst into flames as everyone approaches. Kaz, you're on fire. <laughs> I think I am. I am. Stay away from the edge. So Lieutenant Gunder blusters from across the bridge and he says, Oi, if you want to be crossing me bridge, your intentions must be as pure as my beautiful beard. Oh, that's not that pure then. Uh, we can probably all walk across. Uh, try, Leo. <laughs> if, you, if you want to. No, no, I was just, I was joking around. Okay. <laughs> I'm not the one willing to risk Said my fur, thief. but I, I was just... L Lieutenant, Gunder, Lieutenant Gunder says to you, Eh, shut up, you dumb cat! Hey, that's not very nice. Don't make me come over there. You're the one who's coming to me, Bridge! Do you not know what a cat is? A cat? 
Yeah, I eat them for breakfast. <laughs> and the dwarves uh, behind him kind of laugh as well. So you don't know what a cat is then? Uh, no, he doesn't. He doesn't know. I know what a cat is. <laughs> I've never seen one of them overgrown ones like that one trying to talk to me, though. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've never seen one before. Mm. It's okay. Not everyone has the same amount of schooling. Armando. <laughs> Armando, roll me a d6. I will step out. All right, Ar- Armando rolls out onto the bridge. So four. Okay, Armando, you only take 10 points of damage. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> oh, and no. you will continue to take 10 points of damage if you continue standing on the bridge. All right, there's some evaluating going on here. Obviously, this is a magically enchanted bridge. Enchanted bridge with, like, the heat of the deepest part of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Gunder... What do you require of us that we may pass your bridge? We have a very dire mission that we must complete. Mm, finally, someone with a brain. Don't normally like those damn elves, but this one will do. Well, <laughs> Lassie, feel free to move a little bit closer. And uh, he says to you, All you have to do is answer me three questions, and the bridge will decide if you can cross, or if you get immediately incinerated like the freaking marshmallow that y'all should be anyway. Could I just do this and uh, swap Armando's place with Fallop? With Fallop, you can try. Roll me a d6. Ooh, okay. As you try to do that, you only take eight points of damage as your arcane ability seems to reflect off of the bridge and the bridge burns you in return. Ow. Dang. Yes, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying. We're trying. You can see, so technically you can teleport, but there's something weird about this. Don't worry, guys. I know the answer. It's an African swallow. (laughs) All right. Uh, So so Lieutenant Gunder yells out and he says, who's ready for their first question? Yes. Come on. All right. The cat, get up here. And he yells to you from across the way. All right. First of all, dumb cat, what is your name? I, Leo. Trick question. Your question. He stares at you for a moment, and the bridge glows brightly, accepting your answer. Next up, Lieutenant Gunder says, All right, dumb cat, what is your quest? Uh, well, you see, overly compensating giant man, uh, <laughs> our quest is to go save the realm from evil. That's actually very, yes, that is what our quest is. Damn, that seems pretty important for a cat yeah, like you. Well, you clearly don't know me at all, and you're just saying things, so... Oh, I think I know all I need to about you, you dumb cat. <laughs> Last question. Right. Tell me, what the heck is a cat doing with a tail without a blade attached to it? You could use that as a weapon, damn it. Why don't you have a blade attached to your tail? You know, I've never good actually question. thought of that. That's, that's a good question. I, I've i never thought of it. That's why uh... I don't have a blade on my tail. <laughs> yes. Will you try it sometime? Maybe I'll hold the blade with my tail. Mm. I could do that. Yeah. That'll do. And the bridge glows brightly, accepting all three answers, and says, All right, dumb cat, you can pass. And you're welcome to sprint across the bridge. That wasn't so bad, besides <laughs> you being ignorant. But, uh, I mean, nothing. Uh, and and as, as you as you pass by, he kind of sneers at you, like, <clears throat> trying to intimidate you. But you do indeed pass, and you do not explode into flame. All right, coming up next, he says, Hey, you tall one there, with a shield not nearly as good looking as mine. Are you ready for your damn questions? I'm going to look around. I look at my shield and be like, This... The shield looks better than yours. Ugh, my shield is ten times partier than yours. All right, we'll Dunderhead. See about that. First question: What's your damn name? Uh, okay, I know this. <laughs> really bad at test. Uh, Ar- 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 Armando. Armando. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll look back on Kaz and give him a thumbs up. Thanks, buddy. Way to go, man. 
And Lieutenant Gunder looks down at the bridge and it glows a bright white, accepting your answer that you did indeed get your name right. All right, and Lieutenant Gunder says, that was way more difficult than I thought it would be. All right, number question two. He's not uh, a good tester. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not a very good tester either. That's why I have the bridge give me all the answers. It's got to do with education levels, I think. Uh, are you one of them pretensians that don't focus as much on education as other things? Obviously. All right, dumb human. Question number two. What's your damn quest? I'm going to put my ear up against the bridge, thinking that the bridge is going to give me the answer based upon what he said. I will whisper, stop <laughs> evil. You stop evil. <laughs> and do you think the bridge whispered yes, that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and Cause is like trying to give you a thumbs up from behind. Like you, <laughs> and Armando's like, I heard from the bridge. Lieutenant Gunder says, oh, a, a decent enough noble goal for a damn pretension. And he says, all right, last but not least. Come on, Bridge. <laughs> he says, how many push-ups do you think you can do? Hey, Armando, while you're down there so, listening sorry, to the camera. I, just give me one second. Uh, so Armando looks pretty pretty buff, right? He's, he's super buff. He's, he's jock, jock heavy. Oh, at least a thousand. Really? <laughs> Uh, you heard it from the bridge. <laughs> Apparently, you think the bridge told you. Donnie, kill me. <laughs> 1,000. And uh, Lieutenant Gunder drops his shield. He's like, 1,000. I've only done 999 myself. Show me if you think you can. And uh, roll me D6 real quick. Just roll me D6 and see how successful you are. If he looks back, I'll give him a thumbs up. <laughs> we're just, we're just here for minutes while Armando's just doing push-ups okay. on this oh, bridge. Right. Okay, so Armando, um, you are able to crank out a thousand push-ups, but every time you go down, it burns your groin on the bridge. Oh, oh no. Point of damage is that? It's, it's not point damage, but it's it's like prime damage. You're chafing. Uh, it's, it's rough. Yeah. You're chafing. Your charisma goes down. <laughs> is it possible for Armando's charisma to go down? All right. So with that, um, all the other dwarves they start like like frat boying you. Like go 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 go. You get down to seven hundred. Go 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 go. Get down to eight ninety nine. Armando, it. Armando, do you want me to sit on your back to make it harder so you're more impressive? <laughs> the bridge said. 1,000 push-ups. It didn't say that you were sitting on my back. Cause, does the bridge say anything else? Nope, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, so Armando, you are, yeah, I mean, obviously it's crazy hot and you're wearing armor, so you are just drenched in sweat and it's vaporizing as soon as it hits the bridge. So, so is um, he doing push-ups while we're, uh, everyone else is getting questions? Actually, no, no. While he's doing a thousand push-ups, you all have to just like stare at him, Dude. waiting. <laughs> I asked him if he wants to buy some armor. <laughs> I got some sales going here. Yeah. All right, so Armando, close to home. I got to do my, uh, my You best. are indeed <laughs> successful. You are indeed successful. And uh, the bridge glows a bright white, uh, accepting your, all three of your answers. And you indeed are able to pass Lieutenant Gunder, who's, who's blocking the way. And as I pass him, I'm going to kind of flinch my hand and then stop myself and keep walking. And then I, when they're, no, when they're standing next to each other, I'm like, compare shields, compare shields. It's really just a muscle cramp, really. (laughs) Oh, and because Lieutenant Gunder dropped his shield on the ground, it's all covered in like muck and and weird, like flaming mire. So your shield obviously looks better than his at the moment. So you kind of win the the coolness quotient there as well. All right, so Armando does indeed pass. Uh, Next up, he says, Oi, the, the weird one with the green hair. Were you the one that were talking for the bridge? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Madame Bridge can't talk, you know. <laughs> I, I can't too. About- 
it's magical. Yeah, I, I think it can. I think you've been not listening all this time. You've been on this. Have you not been listening to your bridge? And Lieutenant Gunder just buries his face in his hands. And he's like, oh, all right, uh, egg hippie, get over here. The bridge cools enough where you're walking that you don't immediately ignite. And he says, okay, young hippie man, what is your name? Oz. Hmm. And the bridge glows white, accepting your answer. What is your quest? Which quest? He buries his face in his hands. The one you're on right now, damn it. I'm on two quests right now. The one you can tell me about. I could tell you about either one. I'll tell you about one. How about that? The one that would be shorter, damn it. Share both, please. (laughs) (laughs) I am on a quest to find a place for my people in this world. Mm. Well, that's a noble goal. I mean, if you're a dwarf, you already know you belong in the most beautiful mountains ever, like I already do. And and he kind of smacks his chest pridefully and all the other dwarves kind of... Uh, I go, la- oh, but I'm not an elf. Hmm, I see. Well, it's an honorable thing to seek out who you are and where you belong. Last question, are you ready, a little ingrate? I say yes and walk past him. <laughs> he said last question. <laughs> he asked the question. So I and confused, he scratches his head. He goes, damn it, that was a question, wasn't it? <laughs> well, well done. And he, he kind of gives you a high five on the way. And he goes, uh, he says, hey, uh, pretty elf, the one who, who, who seems smart enough to know what the hell's going on. Are you ready for your questions? I already answered them. <laughs> and, uh, he did and already he, answer them. That's uh, true. <laughs> L- Lieutenant Gunder barks at you and he says, oi, elf maiden, what be your name? My name is Alisa. Hmm, a beautiful name indeed. Uh, Oi, uh, what is your quest? My quest is to find a very rare whetstone to sharpen my two dragon steel daggers with. Hmm, indeed, a mighty quest to pursue. And for the final question, I see your face is covered, Lassie. What are you hiding? Something for me to know and no one else to find out. And all the other dwarves go, oh, and Lieutenant Gunder looks kind of flummoxed. Uh, but the bridge seems to accept all three of your answers. And he says, Ugh. all right, Lassie, you and your covered face can pass me, Bridge. As I get past him, I'm going to pull out my whip and just lightly flail him on the butt. And he goes, Wah! what was that? And all, all the other all the other dwarves start laughing at his, at his stupidity. I'll just casually mention to Leo and Fallop, I'll be like, so the bridge doesn't actually care what questions you ask, just that there are three questions and three answers. And Fallop whispers to you, actually, I've seen quite a few burn up trying to cross the bridge by lying or by not having the true intent. So apparently you folks are decent. I don't know so much about Lieutenant Gundor over there, but you seem all right to me. He kind of smiles at you. Was that, that his feet burning I smelled when I walked by? <laughs> <laughs> and with that, the Lieutenant Gunder says, and you, bastard Molten Reaver, Ooh. I'm not even going to let you answer a question. You damn Molten Reavers don't belong in this area. I hate you and I hate your kind, and I think you stupid folks should... And in that, Lieutenant Gunder explodes in a puff of flamey smoke, and uh, he is no more. I go, what's your name? <laughs> and I was uh, a little surprised that the bridge was letting him stand on it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't you choose a better, more morally upstanding what's your person? Name? What's your what? name, V? <laughs> what's, what's your name? What's your full name? I just, yeah. uh, 
I get to walk across the bridge. And interestingly enough, the, the bridge is just <laughs> simply meant to test the intentions. And being the two priests are about to cross, uh, mm-hmm. Ari looks at V and V looks at Ari. And Ari slowly tests her foot on the bridge. And the bridge glows brightly with no questions needed. It seems that these two priests are radiating something that is so pure of intent that the bridge immediately is able to judge both of your souls. I'm still going to ask, what's your name? What's your quest? What's your favorite color? <laughs> and what do you say? I just look at him and I just shake my head. What's the air and wind speed velocity of a swallow? <laughs> African or European? Cause, uh, do you know what velocity is? <laughs> yeah. So with that, Ari kind of levitates a bit across the bridge, and she kind of winks at V, whispering to you, and she says, I remember the last time we crossed this bridge, and I must say that I don't like the new guy as much as the old guy. Mm. No, I miss the old one. She kind of Mm. smiles at you and winks as the two of you cross together. Does Uh, anyone else think dwarf smells like cheeseburger? I agree. uh, and Grim here, the one that kind of looks like a cheeseburger, looks around and says, Oh no, we're actually making some cheeseburgers if you'd like one for the road. Okay. He tosses you 10. Roll me a d6. Let's see how many you catch. You perfectly catch two. The remaining eight flop directly on your face. Cheese first. No. <laughs> I wanted one of those. Here you go. I hand you one in my hand and pick up one off the ground. Aw. No. That's, that's very so kind of you guys. I hand the other one to V. Saving it for later. <laughs> exactly. And with that, Rourke says, uh, sorry for what uh, my <clears throat> previous associate put you through out there. We're not all bastards, but that guy sure seemed to be one. <sighs> Looks like it's my shift now. And he kind of clumps on over to the bridge, smiles at you and says, uh, come back and see us again sometime. But hey, uh, Molten Reaver, you might want to check to make sure you have your papers in order before you cross. It's uh, not the kindest land for you uh, up here on the surface, of course. Uh, best of luck to you. Take care. V and hates we- papers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hate paperwork. What does he mean by papers? The dwarves that live up on this top side kind of came after... Some unsavory things happened below, and they're not too fond of my people. So they regulate your comings and goings, then? We had some trade issues with them in the past. Right. Is it going to be an issue? No, it won't be an issue. And Molten Reavers are really good at causing problems. Uh... Yeah. Well, well, I guess if he agrees. <laughs> uh, with that, you do indeed leave the Ignium span behind, and you see that the sun sets and sun rises as you make your way through the passes and the mountains. So you make your way through the Molten Reaver Heights. You just kind of went through the southernmost tip, but you see miles and miles of these gigantic mountains, taller than could possibly be scaled, and all these volcanoes just gushing this strange, it looks like lava, but it has strange properties to it that warps physics in a very unusual way. And you make your way from the Molten Reaver Heights all the way down through, and you begin to enter the Fair Jewel Rocklands. And the Fair Jewel Rocklands are an incredibly inhospitable, very rocky country, horrible to travel through, almost impossible to farm in. You don't see very many wild animals. The animals that you do see appear to be very emaciated and starving. Nobody would really want to live here. And as you make your way through, you start getting kind of an ominous, eerie feel that you can't quite place. You hear the rustling of rocks and the shifting of things as you're traveling. We're very Um, close to to my home. I asked Kaz how long it's been since he's been home. Just shortly before I met you is the last time I was home. Hmm. Just stumbled into you almost immediately after leaving home, after I gave those nice men all my money. 
Mm. <laughs> it's a very cause thing to do. Mm. <laughs> As you're reminiscing about your journeys together through these lands previously, you hear a rustling behind you. In an instant, the entire hillside is completely covered by hundreds and hundreds of fair jewel warriors. And the Fair Jewel Warriors are a mighty roving tribe that are very warlike and very savage. You instantly are just completely surrounded by them, way more than could possibly be fought. And off of this mighty mount jumps High Warlord Grok Skullcrusher. And as he jumps off his mount, his beloved blade bride, Uzuri, and his little son, Utundu, move up behind him as he's flanked by hundreds of other warriors that seem just as intimidating as him, though he's clearly much larger and much beefier, obviously much more intimidating. And he approaches you and he says, What do you do entering my lands? We're simply passing through here. Does he look... Like he's some kind of a important leader. One of the warriors behind Grok uh, says to you, You speak to the High Lord Grok Skullcrusher. You speak with honor or you shut up. Oh, yes, of course. I'm sorry. High Lord Skullcrusher, we are simply trying to pass through your lands. We mm. just have a very important task at hand. And he snarls at you and says, the Reavers try to pass through my lands and they take some. The Dwarves try to pass through my lands and they take some. The Elves from the East pass through my lands and they take some. Everyone who comes through my lands brings death and harm. How are you any different? Oh, uh, I passed through here before and I didn't take anything. You came through my lands without me knowing about it? Maybe? I don't know. I don't know where I was at first. I just kind of wandered around. Mm. And he stomps over and grips you by the throat and lifts you up in the air and he says, If you pass through my lands, you pay or you die. And at that moment, as you're kind of being choked out, his beloved blade bride, Ozuri, says, He is a young one. Do not cause him harm. And Grok snarls at you. I'll switch places with me and Armando. <laughs> Okay, and with that, the far heavier Armando is now, is now being lifted up into the air, and immediately, Grok Skullcrusher's extremely mighty arm starts quaking a little bit. So he, he's, he's single arm lifting a dude that's like two, three hundred pounds. And he's, so Grok is still kind of lifting you up in the air, but he's obviously seeing that you're a bit more of a threat, and he lowers you to the ground, he pushes you on the chest, Armando, and he says, Oh, big shield! You come into my land with a weapon that big and expect for me to roll over? Bigger than yours, sir. As you're kind of tussling together, this adorable little, he looks three, four, maybe five years old, very tiny with the cutest face you've ever seen and big, big eyes with a hairdo that you see he's trying to copy his daddy. And Otundu, in the midst of the chaos, kind of snuck around very curiously, and he's looking up at Leo, and he's amazed at your fur, and he says, Fada! This one has a tail, and he's slowly petting your tail, and he's just in love with Leo's tail. He's he's so happy to see. I'll kneel down on his level. Have you ever met anyone like me? I've never seen anyone like you before. He looks up at you with wide eyes, trying to absorb all that you are. I've never been in this land, and probably none of my kin have been around here as well. I'm not surprised you haven't got to meet any of us. And Grok, as he's squaring off with Armando, says, Son, get away from that one. You can't trust those ones. I'm going to walk up next to Leo and squat down and look at him because my ears are showing. So he sees I have pointy ears. And then Rin is tweeting on my shoulder because he loves, Rin loves Leo. So he's singing a song because he loves being near Leo mm -hmm. as Leo's talking to his son. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask his son what his name is. The son backs away very sheepishly and he says, Oh, uh, 
Papa, can I? And Grok growls suspiciously and he says, you may, with a far more cheerful voice. He says, my name's Atundu. Oh, nice to meet you, Atundu. He tries to reach up his tiny hand up into your big paw and, and he shakes furiously like, oh, <laughs> Papa, can I keep him? Um, no. no. I'm a person. <laughs> I'll, lean to v, I'll lean over to V and go, there's a lot of people who don't understand what cat people are. I think there's some problems here. <laughs> and, You're telling me about it. <laughs> and Grok says, Otundu, we cannot trust them. Back away. Moves up and very protectively pulls his son away, a bit nervous around you. Grok says, I don't like the look of you, and I don't like that there's an elf in this group. Kill them. Sir, I, I'm, I very much apologize that we look harmful to you, and, and you've had so many bad experiences in your lands, but clearly I think we can work something out here. Uh, you may need something done, or uh, we could certainly serve you in some way. I, I think we could work out a deal. Also, I just kind of look like an elf. It's <laughs> uh, true. He's not technically an elf. And Grok is seething that you've invaded his lands. He just gave the command, kill them! His warriors are kind of encroaching upon you with sharp blades and swords. And at the last minute, the beautiful Uzuri lays her hand delicately upon the chest of her husband. And she says, I love... Wait just a moment. And his seething rage is kind of quelled, and he turns away from you, trying to shield you from his conversation. And he says, yes, my love, we cannot trust them. You know what happened the last time we believed an outsider. And she says, I have a feeling about these ones. Do not kill them. Let them prove themselves. The rage in his eyes diffuses just slightly as she smiles warmly into his eyes, seeming to quell him slightly. He sets his palm upon his blade bride's beautiful cheek and he says, for you, my love, but just for you. And he turns around in a huge bluster and bravado and he says, I will give you a chance to prove yourself, though I will say none recently have been able to survive. And he nods at his soldiers, and in half an instant, each of your heads are clubbed mightily from behind with a stern blow to the back of the head. You all black out. You don't feel much, you don't see much. It's, it's daisy, it's hazy, as your bodies seem to be dragged. And the next thing that you hear and feel is the thundering and the rumbling of what sounds like a large crowd. And you hear a hook, tock, hook, tock, hook, tock, hook this chanting and this thundering of footsteps and stomping of a crowd as your eyes come to in the bright lights you see the sun beating down of you as you enter the fair jewel arena Leo um, easily is like I really need to stop being involved in these things <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like for all of you to roll a d60 see how conscious you are at this moment I'm also going to look around and probably start chanting with them. Hook, talk, never mind. Hook, talk, because I don't know what's going on quite yet. <laughs> it's, like, it's game time, baby. Oh, All right. Talk. So it looks like uh, we got six. Cause <laughs> six, Issa two, Leo one, V six, Armando six. If you rolled a six, you are fully conscious fairly quickly. Your weapons are still intact. Nothing's been taken from you. But it seems that you were very carelessly just thrown into the dirt, possibly from 30 feet up in the air, where Grok, Azuri, and Otundu are about to watch the entertainment to come. Leo. It looks like due to your slightly more diminutive nature, you took a pretty hard clocking on the back of the head. You're not unconscious, but you're very dizzy at this moment. You're very dizzy as you try to grab your blades out of the sand and the chanting and the stomping of the crowd. It seems to be about 10,000 warriors and villagers are all gathered around here to watch the proceedings in the arena. Grok approaches the dais and 
sits down on top here on his throne and he says to the entire crowd, we are blessed with entertainment beyond the norm. And the entire crowd roars. <laughs> and, and their feet stomp in a perfect rhythm. Grok, talk, grok, talk. Oh, it's talk, getting more and more oh, exciting. Talk. Oh, not uh, so loud. I can't. Oh, it's giving me a headache. Does anybody have an arcane Advil? <laughs> grok cries out aloud, Let the proving begin! And in half a moment, the gates to the far east and the far west start rumbling and shuddering. Two mighty beasts, these suckers are about 15 feet tall apiece. They crash so hard, they actually smash the gates open. A mighty blade arm off to the west starts slashing and roaring with a piercing howl that almost just ruptures your eardrums. Shing, shing, slices its blades, sharpening it up against itself. And the axe horn over here with a mighty axe taller than two Armandos stacked on top of each other. He beats his chest and snorts. The axe horn starts charging directly at cause. And I would like for everyone to roll a d6 for initiative at this point. So with that, Armando, you are so hyped up. You're feeling this energy. You fought in stadiums before. You're kind of a celebrity, even Cretencio. You are like chanting with him. It's like, bring it on. You notice, because you rolled so very well, you notice that the axe horn is just charging like a bull straight towards cause. And you have a chance to act. What do you do? I will run over and actually I will probably throw Leo against the corner or something just to try to give him distance. Excellent. And then I'll step yeah, in front of Cause mm -hmm. and I will do a Titan Smash to try to stop him in his track. Excellent. So Titan Smash, a standard melee attack. You slam your enemy with your weapon, dealing D6 plus 3 damage and rooting them in place for one round. Very useful against a bull. So go ahead and roll us a D6 and we'll add 3 to it. Oh, fantastic. Ooh. So you have a mighty Titan Smash up against him and not only are you able to shield Cause and the axe cling right off of your mighty shield. You're able to counterattack beautifully with your Titan Smash, and this sucker takes a rock solid eight points of damage with your mighty weapon directly into its chest. And it goes, <laughs> it is enraged and grows slightly larger as a result of you messing up his plans. Um, He's also rooted into the ground for one round. That's so right. Move. Very good. So the blade arm over here on this side is super interested in Isa. He shing, shing, sharpens his blades, and he cries loudly. <laughs> And he just jumps up into the air and slashes down on Isa. And Isa, I would like for you to roll a standard D6 defense. Okay, as a four, that's better than normal, so you take one less damage than what I'm about to tell you. He does indeed slash you for a painful six damage. Wow. Uh, minus the one because you rolled well, five damage. And you get to tell us what you were able to do to slightly reduce the damage you took. He's going to come at me very quick and powerfully, and, you know, on my elven feet, be able to kind of dance slightly out of the way, and he just kind of catches my side. Excellent. So that's exactly what happens. Next up, we have Kaz. What do you do? Kaz is going to hold his arms up. Energy is going to start coming out of him. It's going to start taking a shape by this one over here. I'm going to summon my ethereal friend, mm -hmm. which takes the shape of a large kind of buff looking elf. Fantastic. And it's going to start punching the crap out of him. Uh, the blade arm. Excellent. Okay. So you cast this from range to help Isa. Uh-huh. Very good. You're welcome to go ahead and create whatever icon you'd like to symbolize your uh, ethereal friend. All right. So your ethereal friend does indeed manifest right near the blade arm, and it does distract the blade arm that was just tearing into Isa. So that was a very, very timely maneuver. And the ethereal friend does indeed do 10 damage to the blade arm this term, and it singes the blade arm's right leg, and he starts stumbling a little bit as a result of your attack. So that is excellent cause. Coming up next, we have Isa. Go ahead. I am going to use my ultimate ability, actually, and do the Savage Stampede. Excellent. Because I want to get this guy down and down quickly before he, like, rips me to pieces. Okay. 
So I'm going to call the creatures of the wild, focusing their might upon the closest three foes. He's mm-hmm. the only one I'm worried about. The other one's all the way across the way. Mm-hmm. And that's a 3d6 damage, pinning him to the wall for one round if I roll a five or a six. Excellent. And both of these are considered minion types. Ooh, excellent. So you rolled 14. That is beefy. It's All right. secretly also to block V, so V yeah. doesn't get hit either. Exactly. <laughs> and because I did roll a six, that would pin him to the wall. You did! Ladies and gentlemen, we have a crit! <laughs> nice, right, so nice. Issa rolled perfectly, so because your insane amount of damage just went out, you get to describe why you did that as a result of him attacking you. Thankfully, cause was smart enough to have the minion taking his attention. He's not paying attention to me, so I summon my ultimate ability, and there's deer and wolves and even chipmunks attacking this big guy all at one time. And then he suddenly has an arrow straight through each one of his shoulders, and it pins him right into the wall, so he can't attack. Excellent. So that's exactly what happens, and the crowd absolutely explodes when that happens. They go, go, don't, run, don't, run, and they're just chanting it and just roaring. When you saw these monsters get pinned to the wall with your massively, insanely cool attack. Right when that happens, Atundu is freaking amazed by what's happening. So he's kind of leaning a little bit closer to the edge here. He's super excited. He's leaning, uh, leaning over and just, he's amazed and just so excited. And all in a moment, you hear the gate right behind Leo starts to rattle. Oh, no. It starts to shudder. It starts to move. I'm glad um, that I threw him back behind that yeah. gate before I oh, left. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Hey, look, more friends. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, everyone starts to turn towards this gate, this massive gate that's right underneath the High Warlord himself. And Grok is excited. He's putting his hands together like this. And he goes, it's time. The gate starts to rattle and starts to shake. And you start to hear this deep breathing. And as you're all staring at the gate, it seems that the sound quiets for a moment. And the gate stops moving. And out of the pit, in the middle of the battle zone, you see a mighty, insanely large-looking beast just erupt up out of the death pit in the middle there. Uh, explodes up out of the pit instead of the gate. And as you're ah. all looking at the gate, he gets an early swipe at Leo. You got um, this, Leo! <laughs> good man! <laughs> so this indeed is a skull lash, and it's got plenty of skulls, and you're about to get lashed. Leo, go ahead and roll your standard D6 defense, and let's see how much of you is eaten. I got the axe horn. You get that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can take care of that one, right? Uh, yes! Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank El Shaddai. All right. Uh, so uh, with that... Amazingly enough, now you happen to be a rogue and you generally have really good perception for sneaky stuff that's about to happen. And you saw the deception that was coming. You saw that the whole crowd and everyone was expecting for something to come out of the main gate, but holy crap did it not. You could feel the rumblings in the earth, being that your head was like imprinted in the sand and you could freaking hear all of it. Um, (laughs) You heard something sneaking up from underneath and you saw this dude come up out of the death pit itself, deep down in the darkness. And as these five heads start lashing at you with your amazing six, you crit on this bad boy, you get to tell us exactly Exactly how you take no damage and dodge every single one of all six heads attacks. All right, so here's how I imagined Leo's experience has been so far. He just like gets tossed down and he's all like super dazed, right? And he doesn't know. It's, oh, sand again. Oh, this whole why are you all? And then all of a sudden he's just like stunned by this giant beast flying out, and he and he's like, oh, he kind of like smoke bombs, which is actually going to be my turn anyway. So he's just going to smoke bomb and skitter off into the distance. He's just like, what the 
crap is happening. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is absolutely fantastic. That's exactly what happens. So this mighty, ridiculously huge beast, this skull lash, roars, just just confused, just snapping. Not trying to bite through the smoke. He's confused. And just as I'm getting away, I just feel the breath and the snap right behind my tail as I barely am out of the range. I'm like, what was that? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the skull lash roars and starts stomping its feet. Boom, 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 boom. And Untundu, as he's so excited by watching everything, tumbles down off the top ledge here and falls into the arena floor. And as the smoke clears, the Skull Lash sees that what he expected to be a tasty feline treat is replaced by this very diminutive snack of a creature, this little young child, Otundu. And it is now V's turn. Okay, so I see that the child has fallen, so I know I gotta help him out here because, you know, that's a pretty stew. So can I use my ultimate ability, Evil's End, to command one of the minions to get in the way of the boss while I pick up the kid off the ground? You tell me exactly how it happens. Basically take over a minion and he'll attack whatever I tell him to attack. So you convert an enemy minion, commanding him to attack a foe 2d6 with Holy Righteousness for one turn. If this minion perishes, you transfer his life essence to an ally, restoring them to full health. Yes. Avoid the axe sword. He's rooted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'll get an old blade arm. So uh, let me roll my 2d6. Excellent. Two fives to 10. Ooh, very nice. All right. That's fantastic. You get to move the blade arm because you're in control at the moment. He's your minion. Yeah, over there, buddy. desperately backs up. I'll swoop over and I'll take him over here behind myself and Issa. Okay. Your timing is absolutely immaculate. Atundu was just about to be eaten there. You expertly noticed what was happening, and you were unable to convert the damaged minion, the blade arm, to charge with reckless abandon towards the skull lash, and the two of them fight and melee for a bit, and the blade arm slices off one of the heads of the skull lash, and the skull lash cries out in pain, and the two of them continue just duking it out. The skull lash indeed takes four of his other heads and just rips the blade arm into five different pieces, then throws the guts all over the place, and the crowd roars. The blade arm is very, very, very gone. Atundu crawls up into your arms and he's just weeping, terrified and shaking in fear. A little pat on the head, his little mohawk. (laughs) This has all happened in a few seconds. It's all been happening Mm -hmm. so fast. Obviously, Grok, the high warlord, would be, son! He moves out to the edge here. In a split second, as all of this chaos is happening, you see something unusual take place. I would like for everyone to roll a d6. Yes! I got sand in my eye. <laughs> so much chanting. In a moment, you see three portals opening up. Not again. Leo gets PTSD. <laughs> you see three portals opening up, one on the east, one on the west, and one on the south side. Those of you that rolled... Oh, man, you rolled crappy. <laughs> Leo, V, you're, you're really busy. Well, Leo and V, this this makes sense lore-wise. Leo, you just smoke bomb. You're still hazy from all I your craziness. Like, yeah, you're, like, you're still waking up. I'm uh, v, to a small child. Yeah. Right, yeah, v, v, you're completely focused on the heart and mind of our beloved little Atundu there. Armando, Armando what the hell is going on? Armando... Uh, yeah, he's, oh, talk, oh, talk. He's, he's getting amped up, baby. He's in it. Yeah. Um, Isa, you're decent at doing things. Kaz and Isa, you guys are aware that while the other three portals opened up, a fourth portal happened to open up up at the Warlord's Dais here. Four arcane constructs emerge out of these portals. Also, those of you that rolled decently, you know these portals look kind of similar to the portals that you have seen before. Crazy stuff happens. At that exact moment, the arcane
Arcane Dominator on the far side, the Arcane Crusher on the east side, the Arcane Goliath up top, and this extremely large Arcane Behemoth all jump down out of their portals and completely crush all the fans and people that are in the crowd underneath them. Instantly, dozens just die. Just and the Arcane Dominator moves slowly as it registers where it is robotically. Also, the Arcane Behemoth, this freaking huge 30-foot-tall Arcane Stone Golem, jumps down and completely crushes and instantly kills this Skull Lash, and the body just slips back down this blood pit here in the middle, and he is no longer on the map. So the Arcane Behemoth lowers its eyes down upon you and goes, the Arcane Crusher here, immediately crushes the axe horn that was very stuck in the ground as a result of Armando's badassery. And he's now like two-dimensional Mario style. And hey, I was fighting here. Hey, <laughs> I would come off. Uh, I would kill. And the arcane, yes. you come from. the arcane Crusher jumps down. He's still got like pieces of stuff from the stands stuck between his toes. And the Arcane Crusher lifts up its two mighty hands and is about to Arcane Crush some Armando. Armando, roll me a d6. With that, you do take one less damage. You rolled a four, so that's good. And the Arcane Crusher pummels you, crushing your shield almost, with 12 damage. Holy crap. 12 damage. That guy's not even the boss. <laughs> it's, an it's an Arcane Crusher, baby. It's about to get nasty. He does what he um, crushes. High Warlord Grok was just about to jump down into the arena to protect his son. All this happened in like 20 seconds. It's been yeah, extremely yeah. fast-paced. Grok would be desperately interested in protecting his son at this moment. But at that moment, the Arcane Goliath reaches out for Azuri, and Grok, in a moment, turns on the Arcane Goliath. Grok drops his weapon, and with his mighty Warlord hands, he just grips these two stone hands, and the two of them are wrestling desperately as Grok over his shoulder yells in terror, Son! Atonio! And Grok looks at his wife who's trying to break free and get to their son, and Grok is desperately trying to protect his wife and break free to get down to Atundu. So coming up next, in the midst of all this chaos, we have Armando. I am going to charge the arcane behemoth. <laughs> so I'm going to use my titan smosh. Mm -hmm. I love this ability. I'm going to root him in the ground there so he's away from all my other buddies, and he will take Eight damage. Nice. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Armando. Uh, so with that, the crowd is freaking in love with you, Armando. You know how it works, the crowds, doing this gladiator stuff. Like, it's like, come like on! Are you not entertained? Uh, yeah. so it's like all WWEF in here. So yeah, Armando, the crowd is freaking in love with you. They can't pronounce your name very well, but they're like, Armando, Armando, Armando. They're like, close enough. The shirt vendors are starting to draw your name on the shirts horribly, and they never get your nose right. We just start uh, mispronouncing it. Armani, Armani. <laughs> Exactly. So, Armando, that is fantastic. You now have a fan club with the Fair Jewel Warlords Arena. It's official. They've started a Twitter page. So with that, Armando, you're a badass. Cause it is your turn. I am going to blast this Arcane Goliath up there with my ultimate ability, Immortal Archon. Fantastic. Energy will just start releasing around me. I will blast the Arcane Goliath for 14 damage. Fantastic. And then I will explode and vaporize the damage minion to my choice, which will be the Arcane Goliath I just damaged. Fantastic. While all this was happening, Grok was just desperately struggling with this 15-foot-tall Goliath that was clearly about to win this arm wrestle. Grok, his muscles were clenched. Azuri was desperately trying to help her husband, was striking the Goliath. While they're doing that, from the ground point, it'll look like I'm blasting with energy, mm -hmm. and then I will disappear, and then the golem will start to crack, fissures will start appearing in, it'll just explode outward, and I'll be standing there and be like... <laughs> 
Excellent. And interestingly enough, a cool bonus of this ability is that you do gain this minion's consciousness and secret knowledge before you become Kaz again, which means that it's fragmented and strange. It's not a conscious being. It's more of an automaton. But this particular arcane Goliath has enough functionality and memory that you see flashes of imagery. You see images of a fang, a flash of a face of a red dragon. And you see uh, kind of looking down at a human in a red robe that seems to be making adjustments and tinkering and tweaks upon this golem. And you see flame and you see pain and you see darkness. You see all these flashes of things as you absorb what consciousness you can of this arcane Goliath. And you do indeed destroy this Goliath and this Goliath is no more. As you do that, Grok, astounded by what just happened, in a flash, suddenly there's nothing for him to be struggling against. He was just fighting for the life of his family. And now he looks at you. I underestimated you. Thank you, young one. I'll look at him with glowing eyes and the energy still coming down. I'm like, most people do. Uh, <laughs> my ethereal friend's going to go start punching this Dominator for 10 damage. Excellent. So with that, Grok is finally liberated from his immediate life-threatening issue, protecting his wife. And he goes, no one messes with my blood. And he, 30 feet up in the air on this warlord's dais overlooking the proceedings, leaps up in the air with kind of in a Titanic-style leap, lands all the way down, and the entire arena shakes as he does this. And he looks at his son and cradles him in his arms and says, Otundu, are you all right? And Otundu says, yes, father, the man in the mask, he saved me. And Grok looks over at V and says, you are different than many of your kind. You are welcome here again. He nods at you, and then he looks over at the arcane dominator and he says, Fortundu! And he charges at the Arcane Dominator with his mighty axe and slashes down hard for ooh, a solid 10 damage on the Dominator and splits a wide gash into his chest and he roars Aah! and the crowd erupts seeing their warlord spring into action. And with that, it is Issa's turn. I'm going to do a quick shot straight to the Arcane Dominator's head. Excellent. Fire a deadly arrow at range dealing 2d6 plus 3 damage. So wish me luck. Ooh! 10 damage. Fantastic. Ooh, you're matching Grok for damage there. Holy crap. Knowing that I shoot arrows of divine light, and those are usually particularly powerful against the arcane, I'm going to pull back and I'm going to let that arrow fly and say a little prayer that it will actually hit its target right between the eyes of the arcane dominator, and it does. Fantastic. You indeed cause part of its head to crack open, and it is teetering. Ooh, horribly disoriented as a result of your powerful attack, and the crowd explodes. And they all look at each other like, what is her name? And one of them whispers to you, what is your name? Isa. And they'll go, Isa, Isa, Isa. <laughs> it's kind of hard to hear, so they get a gist of what your name is. Isa, Isa. And it explodes celebrating your badassery. So the arcane behemoth, while rooted into the ground due to Armando's fantastic attack, lifts his mighty fists up into the air and boom! And the entire arena shakes and many of the people that are watching in the stands fall into the arena and they're desperately trying to climb back up. And cause you kind of shake a little bit up on top of the dais. And I'd like for everyone to roll me a d6, please. And everyone that rolled a three or under, ew, which would be cause V and Leo, you guys take some damage. But those of you that rolled it better, Armando six and Isis five, you guys do not take this damage. Eight damage. And it's uh, evading all damage for one round. Except for Leo, who happened to be smoke bomb stealth, so he was uh, wise enough that. to avoid that. Yeah. Very good job there. So with that big old spike of ouchie, it is indeed V's turn, and people are hurting. Yeah. Oh, well, you guys are trying me here. <laughs> That's what <laughs> they do. Flexing yeah. healing muscles. Uh, so Armando needs the healing the most at the moment, so 
I'm going to focus my heals on Armando, and I'll use my Cascade, so I get to roll 2d6. Any points of overhealing damage all enemies in melee range? I don't know if I'll overheal, though. So. We shall see. So V does indeed target Armando, and Armando, you restore a blessed 5 health that you will need dearly. Very good. So with that, V directly breathes life back into the chaos of the arena with his heroism, and it is now Leo's turn. I'll do mad sprint, so I'll run halfway around the room, flinging my daggers, still be enveloped in the shadow. Daggers coming out of thin air, essentially, just like... Yes. <laughs> I'm picturing this insane Assassin's Creed running literally around half of the entire arena. Oh, as you're doing it, what happens is every single person just cheering and chanting wildly reach out their hand, hoping that they get Michael Jordan to high-five them <laughs> on the way around. <laughs> and one of them whispers to you, Hey, Shadow Beast, what be your name? <laughs> Leo. And they'll go, Leia, 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 Leia. And they're super into you. Great. Oh, it's happening. The combo is happening. Three to each of them. That is a mighty, <laughs> mighty combo. You essentially, this is two turns worth of damage. Yeah. Because you spent yeah, the first much. term charging up your damage, and then you unleash two turns worth all at once. And with that, the Dominator heaves. And it crashes directly down forward, almost upon Grok. And I'm going to roll for him. Okay, he just barely is able to dodge out of the way as the Arcane Dominator falls down on his back. And Kaz, I would like for you to roll to see if you're able to move your Arcane friend out of the way in time. Three, uh, just barely. Your friend is able to sneak out and not completely die instantly due to the Arcane Dominator falling upon him. Coming up next, we have Armando. What do you do? I will do a Champion's Roar. I will inspire my allies, increasing the party's damage done by three for round, and everyone regain D6. You are the two health. Fantastic. All right. Uh, So everybody, please thank our Titan who healed you. Uh, and everyone's health increases by two if you are under cap. Yay! Yay! And glad Three somebody's blood. healing us. Oh! <laughs> hey, hey. I, I know, I know. V literally saved a Tundu's life. Right. Just joking. How much health does the baby have? And with that, it is indeed Kaz's turn. I'm going to sit in the chair. Yes, you will. <laughs> because and why not? From the chair, I'll act like I'm nobility and be like, go get him, brother. And I'll do Ethereal Friend again. Yes. To summon another one. Fantastic. This ethereal friend does indeed manifest out of pure arcane energy. What do you do with him? This one reaches over and pulls out blades, but it doesn't have blades. It's made of energy. Mm -hmm. And then it Naruto runs towards the arcane (laughs) crusher. Yes, I love it. So the crusher's a bit confused by this. Something just manifested, pulled out artificial light-based blades, and it does indeed take a rock-solid 10 damage, and the crusher's left arm... Uh, I'll be here all night. Uh, So the crusher does indeed take 10 damage and it slices his left arm clean off and the rock thuds to the ground and shakes the arena and the arena roars. And the dude watching over here in the tree right next to you, he kind of climbs the tree and then leans over to you and says, Hey, boy, what be your name? It's V. Ah, cause, cause. (laughs) (laughs) The dude leans over and goes, Oh, thank you, little one. And he goes, I think it's curse. And he goes, curse. Curse! 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 And is like, uh, and all the priests are like, no, 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 no curse, no curse. Um, and my other one's going to do 10 damage to the behemoth. Fantastic. So Armando, you see this arcane creation made of pure energy and light come over and just start pounding on the leg of the dude that you're hitting on. What do you react? I'll start pounding on his other leg. Fantastic. The arcane creation leans over to you and offers you a high five. 
<laughs> nice work. He's Bro, you, take, you take 10 damage. <laughs> <laughs> Ow! <laughs> I can't hurt you. It's just fear energy. Oh. Don't touch it. <laughs> well, he's driven by your mind, so you know that Armando's a yeah, 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 yeah. We're good. We're good. All right, so with that, uh, Azuri looks over at Kaz, the blade bride of the mighty Grok, and Azuri looks over at Kaz and says, Little one, don't let my husband see you sit in his chair, but just between us, I think it suits you. <laughs> and you kind of lean back like an emperor. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and you conjure a glass of fine water to enjoy, and you're just like watching everyone else fight below you. I pour my own water into the little clink, the little glass. <laughs> Do you have a second glass? Yeah, I have the drinking glasses, so oh, yeah. I offer it to the lady. <laughs> oh, and she smiles at you. At, she looks down over Atundu, and he's protected by V and E, so she, she's comfortable at the moment. And she says, ah, to your health, young one. Clink. And you both drink and enjoy the proceedings. Thoroughly confused as to why I'm just drinking water. <laughs> this is why I don't heal cause. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. All right, so with that, the Arcane Crusher is not looking in very good sorts, but he's super interested in not making you guys alive. So he smacks at the Ethereal Friend here and does indeed destroy the Ethereal Friend. Uh, so okay. the Ethereal Friend takes more than 10 damage. He takes 15 damage for popping him. That's true. So the Arcane Crusher kind it of... Explodes. Uh, so the Arcane Crusher sprints with a speed that should not be possible for a stone construct. Something weird is going on with this guy, something special. And he charges, breaking through this stone pillar that rises up out of the sand floor, and he starts spinning in a whirlwind, trying to deal cleave damage to V and Issa over here in the corner, and I'd like for V and Issa to go ahead and roll me a d6. Ooh, okay, Issa rolled a one. That means you take extra damage. V, you only take one extra damage. Both of you take nine damage, plus your damage modifier there. So that is ouchy full. And he continues spinning around and around and around. V, being that Atundu is in your arms, you get to say what happens to Atundu. Uh, I noticed the arcane crutcher coming way faster than he should, so I toss Atundo up into the sky up to his mom and uh, that's what distracts me and why I take damage. She's like <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It lands right in her lap. That's exactly what happens and uh, she's surprised by baby on lap. Half a second ago she was 100% sure that baby was safe because Issa and V were there but holy crap the arcane crusher did something not physically possible but thankfully due to your quick thinking Atundu is indeed returned into the loving arms of his mother wraps the baby in her arms and looks down at V knowingly and thanks you wordlessly. It is now Issa's turn. I am going to quick shot, which is 2d6 plus 3. Excellent. Doing it. Let's see what devastation is on lead. Holy crap. That's a bit bipolar, but that'll work. Uh, so you, you, you crit crapped the bed with a 1, and then you uber crit with a 6. So we'll combine that into 7, then add your 3. Uh, that is a mighty 10 damage to a crusher that was already pretty teetering on the edge there. And you are able to describe exactly how you defeat this arcane crusher that was threatening you, V, and the beloved little child, Atundu. I've just been hit with a whole lot of damage, so I'm a little bit out of it, and I jump back two steps and notch my bow and immediately let fly and hit him square in the chest. 
That's exactly what happens. And as you do that, his chest shatters into a thousand stone pieces, and this kind of red swirling energy that was animating its eyes dissipates completely, and the arcane crusher is no more. The crowd absolutely explodes. They are, and they are super into you. They're crying. They're, they're doing their best, man. They got they got the spirit. They got the spirit. Yeah, and you see that like T-shirts with your face on it are starting to be hastily scrawled, and they're being distributed among the crowd. <laughs> and they're wearing them, baby. They're friending you on Instagram. They're liking you That's on Twitter. That's quite the land, honestly. It's it's super happening. It's super happening. All right, so the Arcane Crusher is indeed dead. And next up, we have V. What do you do? I'm almost dead. It's true. So oh, no. I'm gonna do my burst of light. Okay. And heal myself and Issa. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to roll 2d6 plus 4. Thank you. God bless you. El Shaddai smiles upon thee. You have two health. You're fine, V. (laughs) Two health is alive. As long as I have one health, I'm alive. (laughs) So yeah, I'll target Issa and heal the two of us. Very good. So that's 10. Everyone, round of applause for our healer. Desperately keeping us from the brink of death. Thank you, V. You've you've saved baby, you've saved life, and the t-shirts are selling very well in the stands. (laughs) I'd say it's a good day. And the arcane behemoth, its eyes glow a furious red, a very dangerous, deadly red, and it, it opens its mighty mouth and this this exorcist level nasty red lightning and flame it doesn't look like fire it's twisted it's darkest energy it just fills the entire arena with this noxious flaming lightning and i would like for everyone in the arena including cause so this is map wide to go and roll a d6 let's see what nasties occur to you cause you're high in feeling all the sixes exactly the chair chair just shakes a little (laughs) exactly so cause got a six isa six v1 leo three armand Two. So Kaz and Isa, you guys are freaking awesome. You're really good at not getting ouchied right now. Kaz, uh, how did you not get ouchied? The platform starts to shake and I use the arcane energy just to resist it. Fantastic. That's exactly what happens. No. Isa, Isa, how did you not take any damage? I just saw the red bands coming at me, and I just kind of danced out of the way. It's a super stylish dance. Uh, the dance that you do starts trending on TikTok, and a billion people start doing it as well. Oh, no. That's right. What? That's right. It's exactly what happened. Um, and uh, by the way, the dance that you do is mirrored by every single person in the crowd. And instead of doing the wave for I sue, I sue, they start doing that dance. It's like, it's perfectly matched to yours. I don't, and, I don't, and you I don't now have a trend on TikTok. I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> and you now have a fan club. Club, uh, internationally, and it's a beautiful thing. All right, so coming up next, damage. It's happening. Totally so those forget. of you that rolled, of course, so Leo, you d- indeed take one extra damage. V, you take three extra damage from what I'm about to tell you. Armando, you take two extra damage from what I'm about to tell you. The noxious fumes of lightning and red flame that's not really flame pervades the entire place, smacks you for seven damage apiece, and then you add your damage on top of that for your personal modifier. V, how the heck did you take extra damage? Tell us. Uh, I can't roll. <laughs> like physically in the dirt, you can't roll out of the way? No, like, oh, what, yeah, yeah. What? Tried to get out of the way, and oh, and it's so much sand everywhere. Got my boots and old heavy, heavy boots. You know, it helped with the heat on the volcano, but not in sand. Oh, it's really hot out here, man. It's yeah. rough. You're like back down to like three health again. That's rough. So the healer is dying, just be advised. Uh, that's man, perfect. someone should heal him. Physician, heal thyself. Leo, you are up. I'm gonna use Dark Trickster. Yes, sir, it's um, go time. From my last turn, I was running around, I was hurling the daggers at him, and then once I could get right behind him, I pounce at him, and then I come with both daggers off the wall. Yes. Couple slashes at him, but then as I'm hitting him, I turn to shadow, reappear right in front of him. Two daggers in the eyes, a tail grabs a dagger and comes right on the top of his head. 
Frickin' uh, yes! That's what happens. <laughs> this is a freaking awesome ultimate ability, the rogue's best ability. Yeah. Holy crap. Is that a just straight three. up dark trickster? Oh, oh, that's oh, right. Plus three, 17 because, damage. That's right, Our Armando inspired everyone Armando with his, his beefy bravado. And Leo, with your insane levels of awesomeness, you do indeed smash straight through this dude. His left arm is completely severed and falls to the ground, and he falls to one knee, barely hanging on to life. And it is next up Armando's turn. I see the awesomeness of what Leo does, and I <laughs> attempt it, although it probably won't go as well since I'm a Titan. Um, I will run around him and kind of try to jump off the wall, and I will do a shockwave when I land on top of him. Do you, do you tie happening. a dagger under your banner? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I, like tie what, I like what he's just like, oh, Leo jumped off the wall. I'm going to jump off the I wall. I try this. <laughs> that looks cool. It doesn't look very successful, just to let you know. So. Uh, just for fun, Armando, roll me a d6 for style points and see how stylish you are when you do it. Standard it's kind of like that office level parkour where you just kind of like parkour. Yeah. the wall a parkour. Like, parkour. parkour and then he's like yeah cool, cool. <laughs> so Dwight Schrute impresses the entire crowd uh, it, it is successful you are indeed able to do what you do and it looks pretty cool it's not rogue that's been doing it for 10 years kind of cool but as a freaking titan who's not known for agility but like beef and girth being able to push off a wall and nail this ability the entire crowd stops silent for a moment and then they all look at each other and go and then they get it right and they're like Armando Armando (laughs) and and they do indeed say your name correctly (laughs) Armando 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 that's right. And, and do, you do, like a, do you do like a chest bump roar kind of thing? Asking in the glory. Yes, yes. Um, and as you do that, Armando, the mighty arcane behemoth goes, and not only does he fall flat on his face, he falls so hard, he actually face plants down the hole, and you hear a swishing sound as he goes all the way down the hole. <laughs> and he is indeed so very gone and dead, it's not even I funny. I feel like I just flip off the front of his head and land in front of Armando and yes. then just kind of bro moment it with like a good cla- like class range. Hell like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> bro five. I will chest bump him, although due to my mass, I may... It'll knock me a little bit. A little I'll, bit I'll, yeah. When I see him coming in for it, my eyes go wide a little bit, but I try to go for it anyway, and then it's just kind of like God, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's exactly what happens, and because you chest bump him so powerfully and mightily, the entire crowd just sees like this flash of fur, and here's a... <laughs> As you fly I, across the way. I'll go and swap places with Grok and me. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Nice. Uh, so with that, Grok is now back up on the dais with his family. Cause you look around, you see just blood and parts of arcane golems. And you've been enjoying the show. You've been clinking glass with the queen. It's been a lovely time. You know, it's been good for you. It's been enjoyable. And you kind of look around and everyone's just heaving in pain and, and drenched with blood and covered with arcane golem parts. And you okay, V? <laughs> No, he has three points. No, it's, it's been a rough day. <laughs> I'm going to sharpen my daggers after this. Exactly. So Grok very quickly cleaves to his son and his wife, lifts them up in the air. Tears of joy are rolling down his cheeks as he is just so thankful that his family is alive due to your heroism in the arena floor. He disappears inside the warlord's hut here. But this is kind of a cave up on top here. Uh, yeah. 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 A hangout area where you can serve uh, drink. Yeah. The bar's back there, that kind of thing. So he disappears back here inside the cave. And a moment later, the warlord's gate opens up underneath and he and his entire family exit out of the gate into the relatively 
relatively quiet floor of the arena. He beckons all of you around him. If you could go ahead and move yourself a bit closer. Looks into each of your eyes and he's cradling his wonderful son. I get my glass back from Azuri. Yes, of course, of course. So in this moment, he and his beloved family, his wife is standing uh, in this image, of course, she's infatuated with him. She's standing and he has his arm around her and he's got his son, Atundu, and his beautiful wife, Azuri, next to him. And he throws his axe down into the ground and it chunks directly into the sand. And he looks at each of you with an expression that you've not seen before on him. He's been a bit more intimidating, a bit more pressing. And he softens a bit and he says, you are the first outsiders to have survived the arena in over two years. I have fought for all that I have to become warlord of these scattered tribes. You have proved your mettle before me, but because of what I have seen and because of what you have done to protect my son, my blood, from what came out of those portals, I will say to you now, I will not let you pass through my lands. He looks up at the crowd who grows deathly silent and he says, because of what you've done to protect my blood, my family, my love, my braves and I, we will join you. And the entire crowd roars. That's exciting. He reaches down and lifts his mighty axe into the air and roars a warlord's roar. And that night you feast with the absolute richest of beef and flesh ripe off the bone. And the ale is rich as you swing it back and forth. And all of the fan clubs take their very horribly drawn faces of all of you to you. (laughs) Can I get an autograph, please? Please, sir, can I get an autograph? You sign foreheads and autographs, and you are now like the celebrities (laughs) of the Fair Jewel Arena. You finally are able to get some rest after the insane levels of pain that you've gone through, and the adrenaline's finally pumping, um, and you sing songs late into the evening and you finally are able to get a little bit of rest. So, at the conclusion of the excitement at the Fair Jewel Arena, all of you are continually being just celebrated by those fans that love you dearly, for whom you put on the most amazing show in the arena that any of them has ever seen. Some of them have learned your names properly. Some of them are even pronouncing it properly, so we're making progress all the way around. The t-shirts that have been sold in honor of your goodness, the sales are up. Hmm? Do all the proceeds go to help needy trolls? They do indeed. And cause you're in charge of the money because you're very good with them. Uh-oh. Oh no. <laughs> it just got real. Not good. This is scary. Yeah, this is the most scary part of the whole adventure so far, to be honest. V spends the next 10 miles just rubbing his temples, thinking about the financial ramifications of that statement. All right, we are indeed travailing away from the encampment of the Fair Jewel Warlords that we're walking away from upon the dusty road, as it were. We make our way all the way through the lands of the Fair Jewel Warlords, and we start marching east towards the dreaded Tower of Periculum itself. Many miles pass, about nighttime, by the time we finally arrive at the encampment overlooking the curriculum plains, we approach the camp of many that have already gathered for our cause just above the fields where the military mites of Tereth seems to have assembled at the behest of our dearly beloved Father Jeno. As we approach his encampment, we see just thousands and thousands of tents, rows upon rows of tents that many militaries from across the lands have assembled. And it seems that Father Jeno's call for help has indeed been heeded by many of his allies and friends from across the world, all the way from Pretensio are willing to help from the various edges of the jungle regions. We see some of the desert elves have showed up. Even the odd occasional friendly orc has made their way here. And it's a ragtag band of several thousand soldiers that have made their way here in the time of need to begin our assault upon the Tower of Periculum. And as you approach, Father Jeno greets you warmly and says, Oh, 
You came just in time. We are in desperate need of you. He says to you, as the forces have gathered here, we've been desperately attempting to break through their defenses to no avail. Lives have been lost and we are at our capacity's end to make any assault more than an absolute folly. You've arrived at the perfect time and we're in desperate need of your assistance. Please join us around the campfire. Yes, of course. We brought the fair jewel with us, right? Yes, yes. So as you show up, thousands of fair jewel warriors, a mix of races, predominantly troll currently, being that the warlord is currently a troll, but it's a mix of races uh, that are members of the fair jewel warlords. And they all show up, <laughs> and Father Geno is bolstered and encouraged by the numbers that have arrived, but he says to you, tactically, what we face in the battlefield is unlike anything that I've ever seen in war, and I don't think that we can win. Why does he not think we can win? And he says, please, come and see what I see. And he takes you to the very edge of the cliff, overlooking the curriculum planes, and this is what you see. It's eating people. It looks rough. Looks, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It looks pretty <laughs> rough, yeah. So as we look down upon the desperate situation, you see that there are still many soldiers on the front line currently desperately trying to hold off the advancing arcane golems that seem to be gridlocked in the valley, and you see the mighty Tower of Periculum. The Tower of Periculum, as you know, was crafted by the Elves ages ago, and this is a mighty nexus of arcane power that seems to have been twisted and warped into this uh, chaotic, evil red glow and lightning that seems to be protecting the defenses itself. There are several 20-foot-tall golems on the front lines there, crushing many of the hapless battalions that are desperately trying to make ways into the range. And then there's one mighty, titanic-sized kaiju golem that seems to be directing wordlessly through these deep rumbles and communications to the front line, commanding them. With that, Father Geno says to you, Sanctus has been with me attempting to breach their frontline defenses, but he is less experienced than Sacris was, and it seems that we do not have what we need to make it through on pure strength alone. We will need a level of tactics and strategy that only soldiers and heroes of your caliber can provide us in our time of desperate need. Is there a way to slip in behind enemy lines? While we have located an entrance that may be passable under normal circumstances, it seems the red cloud of darkenest energy that enswirls the tower makes it completely impassable by any means that we are aware. Something must change, and we need your help in this time. And he beckons a few of his frontline soldiers over, and he says, these have been the battalion commanders of our various orders, and they are having difficulty navigating the terrain and the combatants that we face that we've never seen before. I will ask something of each of you that I have never asked anyone else before. What are you asking us? I need for each of you to demonstrate your skills and leadership to lead the battalions of your order. Isa, demonstrate how best to be an archer in this desperate moment. I need for you, Leo, to be our frontline illustration of how a rogue is to operate at the maximum level. Armando, we need for your shield to be the one that guides the frontline soldiers of the Titans. V, we need for your faith and devotion to strengthen the priests that are demoralized from the constant defeats we face thus far. And cause, we need for your mind to be able to inspire the arcanists that are here drained of their might and energy to see your example and to push forward where they have failed before. Uh, could I pull you aside for a moment, Father? I have something pressing on my mind. You do indeed have a moment to speak with Father Jenna. I have concerns concerning the other rogue-like figures you want me to lead. As I'm not very popular with my own kind of late, and I've had many recent run-ins, I'm just curious, where did you get this lot? Because it's very common for my kind of people to be double agents or <laughs> not work for the interests of our own. 
And Father Jenner looks at you and he smiles, putting his hand on your shoulder. And he says, I'm glad that you asked. While some, dare say many, of the line of work of which you are traditionally accustomed do indeed operate in ways that may be different than what you and I would find acceptable, I assure you that my friends, those that have answered my call, are the kind that would be willing to work with one of your heart. I trust you. I hope you're right. As I do you, my son. And he presses his fingers upon your temple, and your thoughts are warmed with an inspiration that you have not felt before. Thank you, Anna. I think the first thing that I do, one, I would sit down with each one of these guys to see what their thoughts are on strategy. Mm -hmm. Mine would instantly be to get the battalions of archers at the highest possible places where they can direct fire on at least focusing on either the large golem or the small ones to knock them out of the way so that Leo or the front line can break through down there and then have a focused attack on the large golem to get him out of the way. My question would be, we don't see the Arcanist here. While we have not seen or heard from High Arcanist Irakon Saul yet, we are confident that he is inside the tower directing the forces. Okay, so then I would say to you brave heroes, what can we do best in our branches of offense to maximize the capabilities of the forces that we have here. The Titans can certainly stop the golems from moving forward. We can use our shock waves and Titan smashes to basically pin them down to give you guys more time to dump damage. Perfect. And also, if a portal opens up anywhere, we should probably all just jump in the portal because I'm thinking it'll go right to this tower. Portal sound useful. I'm not quite sure about that one. They seem to go to other realms occasionally. Yeah, I'd probably be able to answer that. They do go to other realms, right? Cause you know from your studies and from your sensing of these particular portals, they're strange in their nature in that they seem to be able to transport beings distances beyond what the caster can see. And that's foreign to this world right. that, is, that is not known. Yeah, I will back Leo up with that and say, Yes, he is definitely pulling the creatures from other places, not from here. Oh, would you know? When I destroyed the first creature, I got a glimpse at its mind and could see that it was very foreign, very alien to us. You can read minds? Only when I explode you from the inside out with arcane energy? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like... (laughs) I'm just going to kind of... Back away from Kaz a little bit. Back away slowly. Take some notes. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Exactly right. So in the midst of this strategy discussion, you hear a loud and the earth shakes and it seems that this mighty kaiju has just lifted a battlement and thrown it up on top of the camp here and what you see next is the battle itself raging you hear a massive rumbling and explosion as the earth shakes underneath your feet and you gaze down over the battlefield you see the absolute terror of the battlefield as many battalions hundreds strong are crashing impotently against the front lines of these horrible arcane constructs that are crushing them underfoot and you hear the cries of the desperate as you walk down onto the battlefield you see from all different races and creeds and types of people gather around each of you there are about a thousand soldiers under each of your battalions and you each have a moment to speak to your class and your kind as the priests and the titans and the rogues and the arcanists and the archers all cleave to you looking up to you for wisdom and counsel and advice in this moment 
V, would you take a moment to speak to the priests that have been so downtrodden and depressed with their failed attempts to keep people alive and to press the front lines? What would you say to those faithful around you? So I look around, survey the area, and I see the defeat in their eyes, and I remind them of the oath that we all take as priests, how we'll lay our lives down to keep our allies, our brothers and sisters, alive and healthy, no matter what the cost is, and that we are always willing to lay down our lives to make sure that we can keep the fight going. Amen. Quiet. Just walk away. And you can see that in each of their eyes where there were black bags under their eyes and blood covering many of them and robes torn through many of these priestly sects, you can see just a brightness and a warmth and a strength within their hearts and their mind. And some of them had a little triangular symbol, kind of similar to what Father Jeno wears. And that symbol started to glow slightly brighter as a result of the words that you spoke, breathing hope and inspiration into their hearts. With that cause, the arcanists all around you look to you and some of them look down to you physically, but they look up to you every other way, and they wish to hear words for you to speak to them at this moment. Well, somehow I was put in charge. (laughs) (laughs) So, watch your lines of fire. Don't hit your allies. Um, Aim aim a little farther back with the explosions. Um, And keep going. And somehow that works. (laughs) And he's just like... Yeah, yeah, good job. Yeah. <laughs> and you see some of the arcanists, they wreathe their fists in fire, ready to go. Some of them freeze the air around them and shoot it up into the sky. Oh, and let's avenge Sacris. Am I yeah! glow? Uh, some of them glow this emanating arcane energy, and they roar, ready to go. And with that, Leo, you have a moment to whisper secrets to your brethren of the shadows. <laughs> I know... There's one of them. <laughs> Wait, there's a real cat. <laughs> when you said whisper secrets to the shadows, immediately the cat went, no! <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what? <laughs> I was already whispering. No, I'm just kidding. I know you all have been having difficulties here, and it's been a tough fight, but we fight for something more than ourselves as we normally do. We fight for something greater, and we must step up in this moment as we are constantly underestimated and misjudged that's perfect for us it's exactly what they want the enemy thinks they have this fight they think they have us where they want us but that's exactly where we want to be because when we strike from the shadows they'll never have seen it coming they will have thought we had them by the throats but no suddenly we'll come like a blaze crashing through them we will decimate every one of them with our sharp daggers and our sharper wits and none will stand none will remain and we will stand victorious not just for ourselves Mm. not just for the brothers and sisters next to us but for every person in Terrath, every person who fights for life and fights for hope, we do this so that light may prevail. You hear a subtle whisper echoing from them, and they say, Justice from shadows. Justice from shadows. Justice from shadows. And they all whisper to each other knowingly, Justice from shadows. And they all start unsheathing their blades. With you, they all disappear into a smoke bomb all at once. It looks like the Area 51 raid with everyone Naruto running towards it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks freaking awesome. They're all invisible, so you're oh, like, yeah, that's I true. don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but if you could imagine them, yeah. they're all... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. It's not like causing like, an so. arcane, like somehow he's able to see them. Yeah. <laughs> you lean up to one of them and you say, do it, because I'm Catman. <laughs> 
first of all, at that moment, I'm going to go ahead and award the very first inspiration dice of the evening. Leo, holy crap. Aww, that was, yay. That worked. Leo, you indeed have the first inspiration dice of the evening. That was mighty. Um, I'll need it. All that's right. I've been rolling tonight. That's right. <laughs> and coming up next, we have the front line, the spearhead of this campaign. Armando, what do you say to the Titans who salute you as you walk by? Titans, prepare yourself for glory. Hold the line. If you get knocked down, get yourself back up and continue to press forward. And they all roar. And they smack their chest with their weapons and their armor glistens, covered in the blood of previous battles. And they are renewed with a vigor and an energy that they have not known. And they follow you to the very end. And Night we dine in hell. Exactly. <laughs> so at that moment, all of the archers from a hundred different races and lands look towards the beautiful Issa as she begins to speak to them words from her heart to theirs. The titans have the front line and the arcanists will have their backs. The rogues are in shadow. The priests will be here to heal us. What we must do is strike true to the heart like the sharpest arrow point. We will cut them down without compassion, without fear. We will do it for Sacris. We will do it for Father Jenna. We will do it for all of our peoples. And with that, I just raise my bow in the air and I shout. And they all shout too, and we go forward. Yeah! The armies of Terrath roar with an inspiration that they have not seen to this point. So with that, the battle ensues and the roars of flame erupt from the ground. And I would like for all five of you to roll initiative. So ladies do indeed go first in this case. And Issa, what do you do with your battalion? The first thing I do is split them into two segments, make that three and get to the three highest points and before they fire a single arrow. I want them at the highest vantage point so that they can fire down. I want to move Issa here. Okay. I want an, a battalion with her and a battalion at the lower mountain so that we can focus fire on the blood wretch. Okay. So with that, Issa does instruct her archer battalions to take high ground positions, and she splits them into three. And now that you've moved, you're welcome to choose your attack. And basically what your attack is, is multiplied by all of them. And we'll add two zeros to the end of it. You're acting as Issa, and they mirror what you do. You are the example for your battalion. Okay. So I'm going to do a quick shot, which will shoot straight into the blood wretch's body. And that's a 2d6 plus three. Excellent. Nine. And you're targeting the arcane blood wretch? Yeah. Excellent. So because this is a battle of epic proportions and that you are directing the hands of a thousand other archers with you, you, instead of nine, deal 900 damage to the arcane blood wretch. And it gets pelted by a thousand arrows from three different mountains. And it roars with a disgusting sound of... <laughs> And with that, I would like for all the battalions to roll a d6. The arcane blood wretch just explodes this massive red energy, and it seems to siphon life energy from you as a result of its rage by being so mercilessly attacked by the expert archers upon the hilltops. The base damage that everyone takes is 600 damage to your battalions. You'll adjust your health to be six. This is a battle of epic proportions. Truly. So 600 damage goes out to your battalions, and it's massive. <laughs> Next up, we have Armando. What do you command your battalion to do with you? A bunch of these little battalions. Those gray battalions are battalions that are currently locked in combat that are on your side. They're, okay. good, guys, they're good guys, but they're not controlled by you, and they're dying rapidly. A thousand arcane casters make snarky comments about receiving healing. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if only someone would heal us. <laughs> they're all Genji. They're all just, like, muttering amongst each other. 
<laughs> Jeez, I sure wish we had some some healers. I was wondering if the healers even bothered to show up today. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna take our bag and leave and see what happens. <laughs> they just walk the opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs> Let's deal like... with this. <laughs> All right. Oh, I love it. I love it. Armando, what do you inspire your soldiers to do? I am gonna divide my people into three different groups. Okay. So I'm gonna take some of my best men. And keep in mind, you are subdividing your forces. So you're not multiplying them. But yeah. Yeah. I make a lot of babies instantly. <laughs> I can't. Because I'm Armando. I will take my best men, and as I'm going past Leo's group, I I'm will gonna... ask him to follow me in this direction, flanking type of okay move. I'm gonna do a champion's roar. Excellent. Hold the line and buff everyone else. Everyone restores four health which is deeply needed, and it does increase all battalion damage by three for this next round. So the Titan is indeed frontlining it like a pro. Uh, so Armando leads his battalion north through the Burnt Forest. Next up, we have the Arcane Decimator here to the south. He looks up at the Arcane Kaiju who seems to be leading them, and the Arcane Kaiju nods toward him, and the Arcane Decimator lashes out with a wild beam of what seems to be some kind of wretched explosive force. So the Blue Battalions and the Green Battalions all take take nine damage. Coming up next, we have the mighty, the stealthy Leo. What does Leo's battalion do? I want to break up my battalion into four battalions. What? <laughs> I actually do. These guys would sneak around and help out these guys. Do it. Alleviate them. As your individual battalions that you're sending out approach the soldiers that are currently in combat with the Arcane Decimator, the Arcane Demolisher, and the mighty Arcane Kaiju, you see they are worse than demoralized. They are in the midst of being just stepped upon and crushed, and mighty stone arms just swinging them off their horses. They're running in terror and in fear. And what does you and your battalion do? Me and this battalion sneak around in the forest on the mm -hmm. north side and come Excellent. around on the back side as Armando's guys are engaging from the front. Mm -hmm. We will do Shadow Slice. Excellent. So all of your battalions at the same time, being that you split them, your battalion does 2d6. The other ones, because you're not physically with them, will do less damage because they're less motivated. Plus three because Armando also inspired you all with his awesome ability. That is true. So that will be... So a total of 15. All right. And we'll add two zeros to that because you're striking in tandem with a thousand other rogues. This just wild army of super lethal rogues erupt out of the shadows of the forest and strike this arcane soul warp for 1,500 damage. Nice. It heaves mightily as it stomps, stomps, desperately trying to swat at flies as it has no idea where this damage is coming from. And right. it is confused and dazed. And it is indeed Kaz's turn. Kaz will go, uh, oh, it looks like Issa had a plan. <laughs> let's, let's do that. We are going to cast Fire Lance on the Arcane Blood Breach. It's probably going to look like a whole battalion of lasers firing at this thing. The Arcane Blood Wretch indeed takes 1,200 points of damage, and your Arcane Energy blasts all the way through its chest areas, and it starts heaving and roaring in pain, and you clearly have struck it a mighty blow. Very cool. Coming up next, we have V. What does V's battalion do? Are these trees, do they block light of sight? Yes. Okay. Are you trying to split your battalion? Yeah, three. Three it is. Ah, suckers. I kept my battalion together. <laughs> <laughs> I got a heels. If he doesn't split, we all die. 
That's true. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you over the sound of a thousand arcanists going pew 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 pew. Just, uh, <laughs> I will use rebuke. Let's hit the, the old blood wretch. The more we focus, the more we can actually get them down. Yes, that's right. And I can heal an ally with that. Excellent. So you reach forth your hand, manifesting a righteous strike of light, stealing d6 plus four health from a foe and restoring it to an ally. A 700 damage, and you restore 700 damage to a visible battalion of your choice. Plus three. Oh, Plus that's right. Three. Thank so you. That's so, Ooh, yes, you, you, deal, you deal a thousand holy damage to the arcane blood wretch, and it keels over, exploding in golden light. You're the welcome. Blood the blood wretch is indeed perished. Isa needs health, so let's drop some heals over there. That is true love right there. So. No. With that, the arcane kaiju is absolutely raged that you have destroyed one of his younger brothers, raises his mighty spiked mace up, and he slams it down, shaking the earth. And I would like for all battalions to roll me a d6 defense. Ooh, all right. So V rolled a six. You take no damage. We Cause... levitate off the ground. That's right. It looks so. <laughs> fr- it looks so. Bu- it looks so hardcore with just priests like levitating, super awesome above the battlefield. Issa and Leo, you rolled a one. Your battalions take three hundred extra damage. Cause you take one hundred less damage. V, you take no damage. Armando, you take two extra damage. Also two hundred extra damage. The base damage for this mighty earth-shattering blow upon the battlefield creates a new crater similar to the one that the arcane blood wretch is bodies laying prone in. All of you take you 900 damage for your battalions so nine for each character what 900 yeah so it's scaled but nine damage oh okay yeah. you take yeah you take nine damage all right that um, one hurt a little bit that was massive the kaiju does not like you guys at all and it is indeed isa's turn to retaliate what i'm going to do is take these two battalions that are up here on this hill quick shot Mm-hmm. to aim those two at the soul warp. So Issa just rolled 18 damage, being that this is a full epic battle. That is multiplied by your battalion. You've done 1,800 damage. Your arrows pelt the soul warp and the decimator, and you can describe what happens. I'm going to have everybody focus and hold and really aim every bit of faith that's in their soul. Unleash their holy wrath upon the soul warp and the decimator and tell them to fire all at one time. And it's just a complete barrage of golden light, golden arrows aiming toward both of these mobs. And they're struck in every single direction. Fantastic. That's exactly I what I just imagine the whole like thing that they do with archers. She's just I know, like, like ready, yes. aim. <laughs> that's what makes them so effective. And there's like these beams of light just like all converging. Exactly. Uh, That is absolutely epic, and the arrows hit their marks beautifully. That does indeed rock the arcane decimator powerfully. He starts stumbling forward, and he starts to step onto the battalions below, and I would like for Leo to roll a d6 to see what happens to your breakout rogue battalion. Oh, crap. (laughs) My god! No, that's it. How many ones have you rolled? Leo, you do have an inspiration dice. This is a moment. Are we going to use it? One, It's his decision. Right. It's his decision. Uh, Do you want to use your inspiration dice to save some of your battalion? I mean, this is probably not the final. Oh, he doesn't care about his battalion. That's a real rogue right there. Yeah, but you know the next. <laughs> hey, man, that's like 15% of my 100% of troops. Yeah. I mean, you got to cut your losses you. somewhere. You made, yeah, you're next. 24%. So if they, someone heals you, are they raising people from the dead? Is that how this works? <laughs> they are uber dead. <laughs> Oh, no. So, yeah, you're Leo. You want to save your dice? I will save it. All right, very good. Uh, So, these rogues should have known better, okay? 
It's like, you know they should have known better. They should have not have been inside a crater with an arcane decimator. This decimator does indeed recoil from the massive amount of arrows that Issa shoots successfully into its chest. It stumbles around, and the rogues that were sneaking behind it trying to backstab it weren't expecting for this thing to be pelted by arrows. They were where they should not be in the midst of this battle. They indeed are crushed under the foot of the arcane decimator, and they are no more. Coming up next, we have Armando. What do you do? We'll take a swipe at arcane soul warp titan smash. Excellent. So the Battalion of Titans does indeed use the Titan Smash of their namesake. They slam their enemy with their weapons, dealing D6 plus 3 damage while rooting him in place for one round. You roll a D6 and we add 3 to it. Oh! Multiplied by your battalion, that is 600 crushing damage to the Arcane Soul Warp. As he does that, he was just about to cast this massive Arcane Blast upon your front shield line. As that happens, his blast goes wild and he starts slicing through some of the trees and they start igniting on fire. And he starts stumbling around, disoriented from the mighty Titan Smash that then roots him in place as he receives the mighty barrage of your weaponry. So he's barely teetering on the edge and you are making mighty strides. Coming up next, we have Leo. I'm going to smoke bomb. I'm going to have all my guys go into stealth, but I'm also going to send a messenger over to V. V, if you can, uh, Leo's requesting some help with his next strike. If you can spare your time. It will be very crushing, let's say, for mm. a certain large entity on the battlefield. Mm. Hey, okay, okay. I uh, send a message back. Very it's good. Just a nod. It, okay. Just a nod. All right. Yeah. He'll just come back and he'll be like, and he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, yes, <laughs> tell me. And he's like, and priests kind of have the ability to bless thoughts, so, so he's yeah. able to express to you the message in the midst of the chaos. All right, so all of the rogue battalions do indeed smoke bomb simultaneously, and you're setting up for massive ouchie next round. Coming up next, we have Cause. So we're going to do Immortal Archon. Ooh, it's go time. Oh, it's go time, baby. Arcane Decimator when we come down, and we're going to blast the Demolisher. 13 damage to the Demolisher, Ooh. and we will explodinate the Decimator. I like it. You indeed do Immortal Archon. You become pure arcane energy, blasting a single target with 3d6 damage. You then explode, vaporizing a damaged minion of your choice, gaining a secret knowledge and consciousness before reassembling into your mortal form. Holy crap, that's a big old 13 right there. So because all of your arcanists blast their arcane energy all at once, you do 1,300 damage as a result of you. And that Demolisher, he's basically sliced in half, and it slices his right arm and his left arm arm off, and he's just kind of hobbling around. Cause I'll let you roll. Does he fall on the battalion that's fighting him or not? Roll me a d6. Let's see where he falls. Oh, yeah. Ooh. (laughs) So, um, in his chaotic strides, he does indeed collapse onto the battalion that's directly in front of him. Thankfully, enough of them were able to move out of the way that it didn't decimate all of them, but some did indeed perish as a result of the calamity before them. But those that you saved as a result have you to thank for it. Coming up next, we have V. What does V do? All right, so I got my message from Leo. And so I tell my troops to focus on his troops and we'll cast our divine inspiration. Excellent. Now we're going to kill everything on this battlefield including our own <laughs> troops at the end of this <laughs> battle. So this is not going so well. That's how wars go, in- man. You I was aiming for Leo. Them. We'll still be alive, but everyone else will be dead. <laughs> it'll be like literally everything is dead, and where it's just like the five of us, and it's like, how did this even happen? We like, did it's it. Statistically, super <laughs> well, unlikely. Well, you know, the famous phrase is a victory or death. In this case, it's victory and death. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, so uh, Divine Inspiration, very cool okay. ability. V is choosing a champion to imbue with Divine Power, levitating them above harm and doubling their damage. Done Ooh. for one round. Heal them when they land. Yes. Go ahead and roll 1d6 five. plus 5. That's beefy. 800 heals to the battalion when they land. So currently all of your rogues are like levitating with stealthy awesomeness. Yes. <laughs> You're now dive bombers. This is going to be... Thank you, V. I appreciate that. I love it. This will be epic proportion. The guys with auto avoidance get the heals. Very true, very true. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. About <laughs> the damage. Next up, we have Issa, but before Issa goes, the Arcane Mind Crush from the Northeast here, he is super not into Issa or Armando being alive. Looks at both of you, and from his eyes, explode this kind of warped red lightning, and it envelops your battalions, piercing amount of damage. I would like for both of you to roll his defense. Ooh, Issa! Thank God. Issa rolled a six. That means she protected her battalion from damage. How did you do that? I had everyone stand back and watch what's going to happen. And of course, they're all very agile and apt people. They immediately pulled back, were light on their feet and switched to the side. Completely missed him. That's fantastic. That's exactly what happens. The arcane kaiju closes his eyes and they kind of flutter for a moment as you see that he's receiving some kind of instruction from the tower. And when his eyes awaken... He is in berserker mode. He lifts his mace high up into the air and sweeps wide, crushing the mountain in the middle here, all the way through. And as this mountain explodes, all of the rocks cover the entirety of the battlefield, and all battalions are about to take a heavy beating. The damage that's coming out from the arcane kaiju is 1,100 damage. So that's 11 damage to each hero. Armando got a 1, V got a 1, Kaz got a 4. This is not good. Okay, this is this is really rough, guys. This is really, really... Oh! Oh my god. Oh my god. Um, Wait, Leo won't take any damage. That's true. Leo's safe. Thank you. Yeah, so what's going to happen here is everyone's going to be dead. Can I give somebody my inspiration dice? You cannot. It has to be one for one of your rolls, but so here's what's about to happen. Everyone dies. Crap. Leo um, reappears. Okay. And he so kills everyone. So here's what's going on. At this moment, Kaz was very low on health, and he took a brunt of damage as part of the mountain that this gigantic mace struck through and exploded this mountain. Much of his battalion was completely obliterated by it, battered by the rocks falling from the sky, and they indeed are unconscious. Kaz is barely breathing. You can see that he's crushed partially under one of these mighty boulders. And he's currently unconscious. Armando, our front line, who's been desperately holding the line against the arcane soul warp, standing so close to the mountain, his entire battalion took incredibly large boulders directly down, crushing most of them. And Armando is barely breathing, currently unconscious. And his shield has been flung wide from him. His polearm is almost broken in two. He's on the ground in desperate circumstances. During this time, Father Geno, Ari, and Sanctus are on the top ledge, trying to send out ranged heals and support people. And specifically, specifically encourage the forces that are gray, that have been pummeled and destroyed. They're trying to help direct their operations. And Father Geno sees that the tide of the battle is turning against us. And he begins to pray. He begins to pray. And he says, El Shaddai, in this time of our greatest need, we beg you, please show yourself and share with us what we need to prevail in your name. And as he does that, he raises his arms up to bless the entire battlefield, and Sanctus and Ari contribute by helping to keep his arms up in the air and to support him through the entirety of this battle to persist a blessing. He says, El Shaddai, we beg you, show your strength in this moment of need. And as that happens, something that has not happened in ages takes place. In a moment, a mighty white dragon 
with a wingspan 200 feet wide. Guntius himself, one of the three radiant paragons, an image of him soars over the battlefield. A glimmering image of a beautiful white dragon with a wingspan of 200 feet soars over the battlefield and he opens his mouth and out comes a pouring radiant of white flame that explodes across the battlefield, hitting the arcane kaiju and weakening the kaiju's connection to the tower. As Guntius cries out in a voice that cannot be heard audibly and he says, El Shaddai has heard you in your time of need. El Shaddai is with you. Fear not. And his voice rumbles in your very soul as nothing is heard audibly, but your soul hears the message as the entire battlefield is bathed in a white flame, cleansing up the poison of the red darkness as Guntius flies over the battlefield and then disappears into the ether of the beautiful holy arcane. And with that, the arcane kaiju, you can see the red in his eyes dim dramatically as the red that's circling the tower dissipates completely. Wow. And you see that the gate at the bottom southeast here, the gate seems to crack a bit and you can see a bit of red light from inside and you get the impression that the defenses of the tower are now down. So at this moment, being that two of you are unconscious currently, you're down to zero health, you have an opportunity to possibly roll yourself back to life. That's how the death system works in this game. And you have a total of three turns to try to roll a four or better. So if you roll a three, two, or one, you fail that roll and things become more dire. So first, Armando, I would like for you to roll a d6 to see if you're able to restore back to one health. Do you roll a six? six. Oh, thank you. Praise El Shaddai. So in in that moment, Armando, what did you hear? What did you do that inspired you to breathe heavily and push this boulder off of you? What happened? Hey, I'm going to hear a whisper in my ear, and it's going to kind of increase my strength and allow me to push and move over the boulder. Mm. And I'm going to feel revived. Even though I've got one HP, I feel revived. This is an absolute miracle of El Shaddai. In your moment of need, you rolled a six, and you went from unconscious zero to one health. You're barely alive. One of Leo's agents is like, you can't be weaker than a cat. You just try to take a swipe at the open air. (laughs) Well, a cat does have nine lives. Titans only have one big one, so yeah. All right, so now, guys, this is a moment of truth for Kaz. Kaz is currently unconscious at zero health. Let's see if his roll pushes him closer to death or helps him desperately claw back to life. Wow. Okay. Okay. This is is a beautiful miracle. Kaz rolled a four, just barely enough to kind of stir awake. You are still under a significant amount of rubble and you cannot move. You only rolled a four, so it's not as good as a sixth result. You're barely breathing and your face is bloodied and your robes are nearly shredded. And most of your platoon is dead, but somehow you were able to barely crawl out from under one of the rocks and it's looking bad. It's looking dire. You have one health. Father Geno says, Now is the moment. The defenses are down, heroes. Now is your moment. And he continues to hold his arms as they're shaking, bringing forth this bright, radiant light upon the battlefield. The kaiju begins stumbling and rumbling, and he says to you, The time is short. Look up! And you see that the three moons of Terith begin shifting and moving in a way that has never been seen before in the celestial calendar. And the red moon 
seems to be growing in size as the water itself begins lapping up onto shore far more than water should with tides. Something different is happening here and the gates of the front gate begin to creak open as you sense a desperate need to push on. Sanctus continues to hold up the arms of Father Geno who's just quivering under the power and the might of the holy energy that's being radiated through him directly from El Shaddai that's pressing the advance from the battlefield. The battle continues to rage on. I am going to quick shot ability, so 2d6 plus 3. Excellent. That's 12 damage, and that's multiplied by your battalion. You do 1,200 damage to the Arcane Soul Warp. Like an arrow churning factory. (laughs) That's right. So the Arcane Soul Warp takes the brunt of all of those arrows and explodes in a pile of rock, and he is no more, thanks to Issa's battalion. Yay! Fantastic. Uh, coming up next, we have Armando. What does Armando do? Yeah, I see that Leo has disappeared, and I know what's coming next, so I'm going to go ahead and do a Champion's Roar, and I am going to heal all my allies for 1d6. Okay. One oh, HP. On. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, it's no, 100 HP. It's 100. Ah, That's right. <laughs> more impressive. But more importantly, we're going to add three damage to his next attack. Next turn. Fantastic. All right. Also at that moment, it seems a few friends happen to arrive. Um, You see that the ships that are docked off the southwestern port finally land and you hear mighty cannon fire. That explode from the ships, and Captain Tumult Viral and Bill Joe Dilly and Safti, our beloved friends, show up just in time to begin pelting the Arcane Kaiju and the Arcane Mind Crush and the Arcane Demolisher as they stumble and rumble. And Captain Tumult Viral says, You think you are going to save the best part for yourselves? Ah, let me at them! And, <laughs> and the pirates of his ship begin pouring out into the battlefield to bolster your ranks. And Bill Joe Dilly says, I tell you, you, uh, this is worth skipping arcane gumbo for any time. Let me at him. And a <laughs> battalion of dillies from the Grimuck Swamp begin picking up this mucky water from the edge of the ocean and start flinging this muck by using their muck slinging abilities that channel mighty water bursts that explode upon the battlefield, washing away the blood of the battle and pressing up against the hundreds of smaller golems that are continuing to fight on the front lines. And they begin pushing forward at the charge. I have had my agents communicating back and forth and we've coordinated our strike and we feel these influence and at that moment when we see he's weakened by El Shaddai we see the opportunity where he's stumbling and we all use my ultimate ability Dark Trickster Mm. to all vanish into the shadow and and just appear on him like all over uh, thrusting our daggers into him holy crap it's happening (sighs) it's happening so much damage here's the math part plus two (laughs) for stealth pass it's fun buffing the rogue with two turns worth of abilities from four people Oh, yes. Holy crap. <laughs> All right. Oh, so no. what happens um, as a Our... result as a result of multiple buffs and him skipping his last turn with stealth and his coordination with the multiple rogue battalions. V had um, to basically skip a turn as well. <laughs> v basically skipped a turn. So that's two turns skipped. Sorry, Josh. Charging up the energy <laughs> within this rogue battalion who explodes out of stealth and does... That's 6, right. 6,800 damage. That's right. Yeah. All right, so 6,800 damage, and you get to describe exactly how your rogue battalions coordinate this strike to topple the arcane kaiju. Yeah, so they just come on different sections where the limbs connect and all strike, and he just collapses into different pieces. His arm falls off, and then his other arm falls off, and his leg, and he starts toppling, and they just keep 
stabbing at him, bringing him down until he's literally about to hit and they all vanish off. Holy crap. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for all the heroes that have contributed to this particular battle for the final strike. That's multiple turns woven into one final strike. So with that, the arcane kaiju being just endlessly barraged by the damage that all of you combined have put upon him, he begins to crack and shatter and burst, destroying himself and the portal right behind him. And as he does that, the tower itself quivers and shakes as the doors to the base of the tower quiver open for just a brief moment, and he drops his mighty weapon and it plummets to the earth just crushing a few of the smaller golems that were at his feet and the arcane kaiju is no more Hmm. Now, the battle continues to rage on as it seems that the connection of the smaller golems do still have a connection with the tower and do still have a connection with uh, Irakon Saul. The battle is raging on and Father Geno cries mentally from across the distance into your thoughts. Now is the time to strike, heroes. Now is the time to confront the High Arcanist himself. Sanctus continues to lift the arms of Father Geno for him as the raw energy of, of holy might directly from El Shaddai above uh, continues to channel through him. And Sanctus is lending his strength to protect and to help Father Geno keep his arms in the air to maintain the blessing upon the battlefield as the tide has turned thanks to your efforts. Ari cuts a path levitating across the battlefield here and she's radiating this white glow leading through the smoke and the chaos and she stands as a beacon at the foot of the castle giving you an indicator of where the door is and the door is slowly starting to close. We should hurry. Softy runs by and picks me up and carries me to the doorway because I'm so hurt. So Softy sees that his friend is deathly hurt. He trundles his way over with his beefy, thundering footsteps. And he says, Cause, little one, is that you? Yeah, can you get this rock off me? It's it's just on me. <laughs> and he says, someone hurt Cause, me hurt them. Me lift you up, me take care of you. And he picks you up in his Bring mighty arm. to the arm. door, to the door, run to the door. And he says, okay, softy do. Like a frickin' bull in a china shop, he just like Reinhardt's his way through all of the arcane golems that are trying to block his way. And he just, bowling pins all the way through. And in record time, breaking the land speed, 100 mile dash, does indeed take you all the way to the door. Just before the door closes, he's able to sneak you through the door and say, cause me fight bad guys here? Yes. Do you see those dragons? <laughs> I see no dragon. Okay, just checking. <laughs> Softy says, me hurt bad guy for you. Me make cause proud. <laughs> and he lets you body slam him real quick. And he just uh, falls over. <laughs> I, I slap him and fall over. Fantastic. All right, so he's able to hold the door huh, just long enough for you to sneak through, and the door clamps shut, and the rage of the battle still echoes in the distance, but it is deathly and eerily quiet as you enter the dark catacombs of the tower. Ooh. I will ask, did uh, anyone else see dragons on either side of the doorway, or and just me again? Everyone go ahead and roll me a d6 to see if anyone else saw it. Holy Fair crap. Isa, Armando, you guys rolled sixes. You guys were able to catch a little bit of a glimmer on the way in. Normally, only those that are deeply gifted in the arcane would be able to see this level of arcane. But Kaz, Isa, and Armando, you saw a glimmer of what seems to be a red dragon. It's a very unusual sight. Normally, you don't see red dragons, and they disappeared as soon as they sensed your presence. So with that, you begin to delve into these catacombs, and there's a spiraling staircase that seems to move up and up and up, and you continue traveling in this dark staircase, and you hear echoes of war, the shrieks of terror. You hear sounds that are not physical. There's something weird about this staircase that warps and twists consciousness and awareness. So as you make your way up the tower, there are lots of winding pathways, but the staircase seems to move in a fairly vertical direction, and you make your way into a strange room, a room that none of you have ever seen before, 
and this is what it looks like. So the six of you enter this room. It's an unusual space. It's a circular chamber that seems to have a red glowing orb in the middle, and the numbers are not actually there. The numbers represent flashes of visions. They are memories, they are images that are projected in smoke, and each of those have images in them. And you see around that there are six tables, standard wooden tables, nothing very notable about them. As you're walking up the steps, you guys have a chance to kind of rejuvenate a bit and heal a bit, so you're back to it health. There's a bit of a break here. I'd like to perceive the room. Issa, go ahead and roll me a D6. You are an elf, so you may have some kind of attunement to this room. Above well, I have a plus five on perception. That helps too. V just rolled a one for perception. So you are so focused on healing everyone that's dangling onto desperate health. Your yeah. focus is on getting them alive. So you don't, you don't even care about the room. You want to keep your friends alive. I want to know about the room. Can I heal them? Uh, yes, so you heal them back to full. It's maybe 5, 10, 20 minutes that you're walking up this spiral staircase and you have a chance to heal up. So Issa, your excellent roll of 10. Cause also roll me a d6. Leo, you're aware of some of this as well. Cause is an elf as well, so this room might speak to the elves a bit more than normal. Armando, you're the strong one and you're likely tending to Cause, who you're dragging up the stairs, being that he's so worn out and nearly dead, and you don't really care about the room as much. But those that rolled an eight or better, you recognize this room is of elven construction, as is the rest of the tower. It seems that the runes in the middle there are not of elven construction. They seem to be different. It's strange. You don't quite recognize it. The orb in the middle seems to have been corrupted, ghastly red color, and you see that on the six tables around the outer edge, there are glowing white boxes, and they're perfect cubes. They're about a foot wide. You all have a moment to inspect the room. I want to go next to the number three. That's my favorite number. Okay. What the number three is going to tell me. Excellent. So you approach the number three. You see an image glistening, moving. The image floating in the smoke is spiders in a cave that are chasing someone. This person's father reaches out for this person, and the father disappears like smoke, leaving this person alone. This memory seems foreign. You don't think that you recognize this vision from anywhere. Okay. That's what number three is. I definitely want to see what's down here. Okay. Excellent. So, Issa, as soon as you walk up to that wooden table, you see the white box glowing on it reflects your face and your eyes are closed in the reflection. I'll check number two. Okay, so Kaz, you walk up to memory number two and you see an elven man glistening with skin like the scales of the sea, kisses a woman with a long blue ribbon wrapped around her waist. Ah. Okay, I think this is yours, Armando. Yeah. I wanna walk up and look at number eight. Leo walks up to number eight. He sees searing heat, rocks aloft, do not trust them, they are above us, yet below us. Ooh. <laughs> uh-oh. It could be either of us. That's true. I'm looking, look at number nine. Okay. Elven spires soar high above the trees. They could never accept you. You are not one of them. You look like them, but they know the truth of what you are. This is about Armando. <laughs> I think you're right. Oh, kind he, of spoilers for future chapters, but we're not going to go comes over here. He's like, yeah, V, you're right. It is Armando. Armando, come over. <laughs> That's a good question. It doesn't look like anybody else All right. here. So, so you notice that the other five boxes are still a pure white, and there's nothing about them that's changed yet. Only one of them reflects the face of Issa. I'll go to one. That memory is strange. You feel young, alone, and afraid. A strong wolf walks up to you mm-hmm. and shapeshifts into a man and reaching down to you, lifting you into his arms. That's mine. Hmm. I'll just um, tell everyone because I don't know what it is. That's my <laughs> adopted dad. These <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's my adopted, yeah. my adopted yeah. father. Yeah. Wolf? 
He's a shapeshifter. He's the strongest tribe of the Hemanawans. Let's set the table. So Kaz walks to the north table. As you walk up to the table, this perfect white cube glistens briefly, and your face appears on the front of this white box, and your eyes are closed. I walk up to this other table. Armando, you walk up to the white box, and an image of your face appears with your eyes closed. There, you remove the box and put it on eight. As you try to reach out and touch the box, roll me a d6. Okay, you take seven points of damage. Oof. Okay. Do, can I still lift the box up, though? You can try. Roll uh, me d6. Okay. So just from touching it, you got to... No, not if it's already giving me damage. Okay. Leo, do you wish to walk up to a box? Sure. Okay. I'll walk to this one down here. Very good. All right. And Ari walks to a box. As you walk up to each individual box, that box imprints upon you. Your face displays with both of your eyes closed. I listen to the box. Uh, okay. It tells me anything. Roll me a D6, V. Let's see how perceptive you are of what's going on. V just rolled a one. You were so exhausted from pouring so much of your life energy into healing the entire group. You are exhausted <laughs> and it's difficult for you to process the complexity of this room. After he gets next to the box, I will say, Issa, stand on one. Okay. So I'm going to go and stand in this space Okay. here. Excellent. And I want to know what happens because I, I feel like this would be a magical area, like something would be triggered or something would mm -hmm. be attached or belong to me. All right. So as you stand on memory one, that memory is you feel young, alone and afraid. A strong wolf walks up to you and shapeshifts into a man and reaching down to you, lifting you up into his arms. As you do that, you completely relive that memory fully and deeply. And as your eyes flash open, you are surprised that you're suddenly back in a room you almost don't recognize. It almost transported your consciousness through time and you relive that moment perfectly. And that memory floats through the air and perfectly rests inside the box. And one of your eyes open on the box. Can I talk? I got it too. Okay, Armando, as you approach the second memory, an elven man glistening with skin like the scales mm -hmm. of the sea kisses a woman with a long blue ribbon wrapped around her waist. You've envisioned that moment and it, it hits you like an absolute truck, reopening a wound that you didn't think that you could feel again. And as you do that, a tear moves down your cheek and that memory floats through the air and rests inside your glowing white box and one of your eyes on the box is now opened. Well, looks like we get to figure out who else is what. Wait, question though. It's a match. Do this in order. I it out. I'm just kidding. I would say let's do it in order. Let's see what three is. Three. Spiders in a cave chase you. Your father reaches out for you, and he disappears oh, like. Um, well, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll finish reading it for the sake of uh, spiders in a cave chase you your father reaches out for you and he disappears like smoke leaving you alone so as you go up and you stand on three there you experience three the third memory soars through the air like smoke and it rests inside the white box and one of the eyes on the box opens alright yes. alright we got this someone check four alright four. four green forest alive with life is slowly warped by poison your brothers die around you and you are left alone until a red hand reaches out to you, lifting you up. That would be cause. I feel like cause, yeah. All right, cause, what do you do? Oh, <laughs> All right, so cause, you do indeed move up to the fourth memory there. And as you do that, it floats like smoke into your box and one of your eyes opens on your box. Can I go look at number five? You may. Number five, shadows and fear engulf you. The sea crashes against the ship. Framed for an evil that was not yours, pain severs you. An angel restores you. I go stand on. If she uh, explains that to me, obviously. It's a memory that she verbalizes. Leo moves up to number five, and that memory floats through the air as you relive the pain and the unusual joy of one of those moments. And one of your eyes opens. At six. All right, Armando, you move to six. Armor, broken on the battlefield. 
polearm shattered, face cut deep by an orcish blade. Soft hand touches your face, face mended, heartbroken. I can feel it. I step into six. That memory overwhelms you as it does indeed move to your box. And for the first time in the entire room, both eyes open on your box and the box dissipates into a beautiful white glow that travels back to you and fills your chest, healing broken memories. Mm. All right, listen to seven. Jungle green flashes by, mother running, panting, weeping, a basket of safety in a world of danger. Nothing is certain. It has begun. Pretty sure that's me. So the memory floods you, and you relive moments that you didn't think you could possibly remember. Um, yeah. It, it I probably don't cool. remember, and now I'm like, what is this? It is a memory that was recreated for you in a beautiful and, and painful way, and that indeed does fly across the room to your box, and your eyes open. Your white box dissipates into a beautiful white glow, and it soars through the air, and as it enters your chest, those shattered memories are restored. Eight. Searing heat rocks aloft. Do not trust them. They are above us, yet below us. Is that you, V? I think you're right. Cause would know because he knows my backstory. <laughs> v, as you approach your memory, it fills you with a painful, sharp vigor. It flies through the air. The second eye is opened on your box. Your box dissolves into white light. That light fills your chest, and your shattered memories are restored. Cause, as you approach number nine, the memory is elven spires soar high above the trees. They could never accept you. You are not one of them. You look like them, but they know the truth of what you are. Uh, yeah, that's me. Your eyes flutter in pain as that moment of rejection uh, clenches you tight. A tear moves down your face as the memory flies across the room into the box, and your second eye opens in the mirror of the box. The box dissolves and white light moves to your chest, cauterizing that painful memory and restoring what was broken. Number 10. Number 10. Dragon's kiss cannot be seen. Those who know would take your life. Run, young one, run. The pack calls. Run. That's me. I'm, I'll step into that. Issa steps into that memory. The memory flies all the way across the room, claimed by you, into your box. The box dissipates, and your chest is filled with a radiant white light as tears envelop your face. And then Ari slowly approaches, and she does not want to approach. As she approaches this memory, she says aloud, She was yours and you were hers. He trusted you, and you failed them both. Blood upon your hands, blood and pain. Our hands are kind of quivering as she reaches up, claiming it, and as it fills her, it fills her with a pain that she curls up onto the ground, collapsed, and the memory dives into her box, and her box glows red, and the orb in the middle of the room breaks. And as the red is pulled out of it, the blue gems on the ground start to glow and cycle around, and a new orb seems to be restored that is blue and radiant, glowing a faint white. But the box itself, Ari's box over here, when Eleven flies into it, instead of her eyes opening, the image on the box has her eyes clenched tighter, and the image of her in the box starts shrieking in pain. And with that, the blue flame that was sealing off the right exit of this room, that blue flame dissipates with a white burst, and the way is open. Is the orb still in the center? The orb is in the center. It is no longer red. It is a blue orb glowing a bright white, and you see inside of it healed visions similar to what you've just experienced. I walk over to Ari, yes. and I'm like, Ari, remember what I told you on Captain Tom's ship? It's not your fault. It isn't. You did all you could. Don't let this overwhelm you. You're stronger than this. 
This is trying to guilt you. It's trying to bring something upon your head that's not yours to bear. She's still collapsed on the ground, and she looks up at you as you kneel before her, and you kind of tilt her chin up. Her face is just covered with tears, and she says, Even if I believe that, I don't know if he will. Ericon, the one I failed. He doesn't have to. We shall see. She reaches out for your hand, if you're willing to help lift her up. Yeah. She's raised to her feet, and the way is open. I will walk up to V. Thanks again, V. You pull me out of a... You help me not be like some of my brothers. I tell Cause, I look forward to having more adventures with you in the future. Always, V. Always. Beautiful. With that, Ari begins to move with Leo towards the entrance that is now open. Another few minutes worth of staircases, and you, you still hear the clash and the echo of the battle that's raging outside of the tower, and the terror of soldiers that are crying, but bolstered by the presence of blessing of Father Geno upon the mountaintop. And as you finally make your way up to the very, very top, there is one entrance at the very top, and as you round the corner, you see him. Wow. As you enter this arcane study here in the Arcanist's Spire of the Tower of Periculum, Irakon Sol is levitating in the air high above the study, and he turns around and he says, I'm so glad that you could make it. I've been expecting you, and I wish to invite you to a beautiful thing. I have this idea that what you think is beautiful is not that at all. Beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder, and I know many beholders. I'm going to look at Kaz and tell him, don't be afraid to go all out. I might hesitate and be like, he has fire. I've rolled <laughs> more ones this night than everybody else combined. <laughs> I'm just you are Not heroic. really, but... Don't tell right. me you rolled another you uh, Okay, so all of you rolled really crappy for perception. Um, Leo got a one, V got a one. I won't let you add perception to this for oh, a specific okay. reason. Okay. There is an aura in this room, likely crafted by High Arcanist Irakon Sol, that is confusing your mind. And because of that, Leo V, you rolled a one. You were so overwhelmed by the painful energy in this room that it's messing with your senses. Cause, because you're more attuned with the arcane, you're able to peer through a little bit of this chaotic veil swirling around this room. And you notice that while most of his garments seem to be a traditional high arcanist garment, the robes seem to have been tainted by a strange marking, a black draconic marking covering these red robes. Um, ah. You see that his right leg seems to be in some kind of arcane cast, a walking device. His right leg seems to be broken or deeply damaged, possibly from war. When he moves, he seems to hobble and lean upon him. You see that he has three painful gashes of some kind of claw marking across his face that has destroyed his sight in his left eye. And for those of you that rolled a three or better, so Issa and Kaz, you see this, that there's something upon his garments that does not appear to be something that an arcanist would traditionally wear. I notice one thing immediately upon looking up at him. Mm-hmm. And that is the marks upon his robe are exactly the same as the ones that I keep hidden upon my face. Mm. So instantly I'm becoming aware that he is somehow in league with some form of powerful dragon and that it's very ancient, very old and very powerful. Mm-hmm. And then I'm immediately drawn to the ribbon that he has connected to his waist and wondering what that is. 
He notices that you're staring at it, and he tries to hide it under his robes. It seems like you've almost peered into a very private and delicate secret that he's trying to keep. But you do notice that it seems to be a pink piece of fabric. And when Ari on the ship was describing to you his history, she mentioned an event, an occasion, in which his young daughter was accepted into the priestly order of Sanubis. And he gifted his daughter a beautiful ribbon necklace with three pearls, one pearl to represent all three of the original uncorrupted radiant paragons. And you see that this piece likely is what's left of his memory of his daughter. And he tries to hide that from your vision. As you all enter the pinnacle of the Arcanist Spire, you see Irakon Saul, the high Arcanist that has reawakened this tower for a dark purpose, levitating high above this celestial viewing space. You can see orbs and planets and moons and stars swirling all around this beautiful space that was originally created by the elves for good purposes that is being corrupted by his presence here and what is driving him. As you enter the space, he says, please come in. The timing is perfect. And I would like for all of you to roll a d6, standard defense. Okay, ooh, nobody rolled a six. Oh, V didn't roll a six at all. Okay, uh, so, so in a moment, he reaches out with his mighty hand and all of you feel like that your neck is being crushed by a thousand titans. This mighty arcane energy, this red rope made out of smoke, lashes around each of your necks and pulls you straight up into the air. And you all are dangling with your legs kicking as you're desperately trying to fight what's happening here. And as Irakon reaches out to each of you with this lash of lightning, it appears that Leo, a gem that is inside your pockets, seems to radiate a sharp pain that burns you with a permanent mark on your thigh where you seem to have stored this gem. And this gem seems to be one that you stole from an innocent shopkeeper in the Tulumashah market. And you feel a pain of that moment that seems to sear itself into your left thigh where you are storing that gem for future use. V, you're about to go unconscious. You rolled horribly bad with your one, and it's looking rough for the healer. Ari is really the one that he's interested in. The red rope made out of arcane dark energy that's around her neck pulls her, as you're 10 feet up in the air, pulls her all the way up the stairs here and levitates her over here on the dais. As she's wriggling and writhing, desperately trying to get out of it, you can see that up top there is a chandelier. And inside that chandelier is a red vial that is most of the way full. Irakon Sol says to Ari, Beloved Ari, I want you to know that I'm very glad that you're here. You will help me save the world. As he does that, he clenches his fist and you hear a wretched scream escape from her. As the last bit of her white energy seems to be pulled out of her body and it fills in this red vial that's swirling around. And as that happens, the red vial fills up completely as Ari seems to collapse to the floor unconscious. And Irakon Sol looks at the rest of you and says, thank you so much for bringing her to me. All I wanted was for her to be here for this special moment. Wait, so let me get this straight. We are the people that basically destroy the world, bringing him Ari? Um, well, it gets better than that. We, classic. We saved the world by getting Ari back, and okay. then we brought her back so that he okay. could, you know, yeah, yeah. It's just, destroy the world. Right, right. Um, it is so about. we are actually the evil people in this story. I think oh, so, yeah. oh un- we're not unwittingly evil. <laughs> yeah, are we yeah. the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're the Unintentionally uh, bad. So Irakon so Saul can metagame. Uh, no. uh, so Irakon Saul uh, senses your thoughts, Armando, and he says, oh, you are helping me save the world. 
I promise. And he tightens the red lash around your neck, Armando. And with that, the red vial is lowered down through the solarium, and you see this red energy begins to erupt with a wild vigor. And the ceiling of the solarium opens up, and you can see one of the three moons of Terith. The red moon, this mighty red lash, erupts and explodes. It's 10 feet wide, seems to pull all the way up through the heavens, and it wraps around the moon in this ball of energy. And you see that the moon starts to grow larger and larger as he starts to pull it closer and closer to Terith at a terrible terrifying speed. And I would like for everyone to roll initiative. All right. Uh, oh so gosh, if I yeah. do not roll above a three. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> what is uh, happening? All right. So with that, V, you have a chance to act. You're almost unconscious, but you have a chance to break free. What do you do? I want to break free. So does Queen. So <laughs> can I attack the red lashes that are surrounding us? You are a priest. You have a way of purifying. What do you wish to do? I want to do that. So if I use my burst of light, it's a healing move. It's an AOE. So I can cast it on Armando since he's in the middle mm -hmm. and try to break us free with that. Go ahead and roll me a d6. Let's see how successful you are. Okay, uh, that's excellent. So with that, you are enraged by the darkest energy that is enveloping you. You are well trained on how to handle this kind of corrupted energy with your holy training. And you immediately are able to break everyone free and they plummet to the ground, desperately clenching their necks. V, also, because you are a priest, you have a decent idea of the kind of corruption that is emanating from Irakon's soul's room. It is a darkenest energy. It is a corrupted form of arcane energy. It is the polar opposite of the holy radiance that your order operates in, and you are the counter. You seem to be uniquely suited to handle the threat that Irakon presents. As this is happening, with that role, you are able to, as you break free, Sister Ari over at the very edge there, you see that she starts breathing slightly. She does not appear to be dead. She's breathing slightly, but horribly, horribly drained. And as that happens, Irakon Sol says, for this final gathering, I wish to invite some friends. And all at once, friends do indeed appear. So if we're baddies and he's baddies, then does this make them our friends too? Ah. Well, he's the hero of the story. He's going to save the world. All in a flash, as he says that, three portals open up around you, and it seems a mind bane, a constrictor, and a dream eater, three creatures that you have not seen native to Terith before, seem to erupt out of these dark portals. Issa, what do you do? Sniper's Wrath, mm -hmm. which is notching one flame arrow in your bow for each enemy outside melee range, dealing 1d6 plus 5. If you roll a 5 or a 6, they burst into flame, dealing an extra d6 damage. Oh, it's go time. Five. She's going big, baby. Ooh, very and I nice. Get a five, <gasps> so they get an extra d6 damage, which means they take all of them take 15 damage. This is the first time in this campaign we've lit people on fire, and I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> so Sniper's Wrath does indeed light all of the enemies on fire for a solid 10 damage. The Constrictor was sneaking up behind you. He thought that he'd get the jump on you, but Issa like over-the-shouldered it, like, 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 a, like a boss. Oh, yeah, like she didn't look. Exactly. She pulled a Mandalorian and just like oh, went badoom on him. Um, what about the Arcanist? Do I light him on fire too? For this is where it gets rough. The shot that hits the Arcanist, in half a moment, an explosion of red shield around him, the arrow hit it, bounced directly back at you and does 10 damage to you and you're on fire. Oh no. So, the Mindbane, the Constrictor, and the Dream Eater are all on fire thanks to you, and Issa is now on fire thanks to Issa. Oh, goodness. Stop, drop, and roll. That's right. It is now 
Kaz's turn. We need our muckslinger. <laughs> Very true. What are those two arcane r- circles on the floor? Roll me a d6. Let's see what you can recognize. Okay, so you roll four. That's decent enough to recognize. You've seen this stuff before in your training. You see that the red runes up at the north here that seem to be around some kind of red orb. You see, and only you see, that there seems to be two red eyes that are glaring through this orb, and this seems to be some kind of communication device that is high elven in original construction. It seems to have been corrupted and is being used for other purposes. The rune at the far south here, the one that the Dream Eater is currently occupying, it looks similar to a simple teleportation rune for portal creation, but there's something supercharged about this rune. You've never seen something this complex before. All right. Can I touch or interact with this thing? Roll me a d6. We'll see what happens. Okay. You don't die. So as you try to touch this orb, instantly your mind seems to be transported, distant and far and wide, and you see tall black spires that are gushing this black liquid, wretched, vile filth. And you see in a moment, a thousand red eyes turn towards you. And back behind these thousand red eyes, two huge red eyes open up. And she says to you, Oh, you are a special one. And you see whatever this force is, it reaches out, grabs your chest, and you start lifting up in the air, and you have a moment to react. Hmm. Okay. I couldn't grab the thing at all? With a four, you can touch it, but it seems to be very well locked into its basin. It's a device. Okay. I guess I will try to fire lance the base of it to try to mess it up. Okay. Fire lance, go ahead and roll that damage. Holy plus 10, hell. sorry. Plus 10 on top of it. Plus Did 5 really for each just six. Yep, holy, hang on. A plus second. 5 for each D6. All right, ladies and gentlemen, badass is occurring. Fire lance. <laughs> so little cause just hurled a searing fireball at an enemy dealing 2D6 plus 5 damage. Is this the first damaging ability you've used this game? <laughs> I'm like, Arcanist, normally you deal a lot of damage, but I'm trying to remember well, Prince here. Cos doesn't like fire, so that's, it takes that's, a lot for him that, to use Oh it. my gosh, you, oh, yeah, this is, Cos does not like fire. This is serious. Yeah, this yeah. is a moment. Yeah, that's oh. why I use fire. <laughs> I needed help. Yeah, he, he has done the opposite of breaking the fire extinguisher in emergency work. here. Everyone um, was like, he can use fire this yeah, whole time? Like, and you fire shooting. <laughs> <laughs> when we were almost all dead? <laughs> you seem like shooting liquid magma beams, and you're like, why weren't you using that before? You can be an entire adventure for you to reveal this. <laughs> so this this moment is basically the opposite of break the glass to pull out the fire extinguisher in case of emergency. This is Kaz saying, I need a flamethrower. Boom. And he does indeed hurl a searing fireball at an enemy, dealing 2d6 plus 5 damage, burning them for 5 extra damage if he rolls a 5 or a 6. He rolled, gentlemen and ladies, two sixes in the time of need. Holy crap. All right. So... What happens now is, holy crap, that orb basically shatters. And you can see that Aracon Saul, his connection to whatever communication was coming through there seems to also be shattered. And he cries out with, no! His eyes that have been glowing a dangerous red seem to dim slightly and a bit more of the white of his eyes seems to illuminate. And then he kind of shakes his head and reaches out to one of the red portals and regains some of that energy through the red portals. But he was shaken for a moment and it was terrifying to him. As cause is being lifted up and being communicated by this creature, he's going to be like, no touch! <laughs> and blast the base. <laughs> that is perfect. That's exactly what happens. And thank you to Issa also. 
because I would have shot myself with that if you hadn't attacked him first. Just oh, that would have been 17 damage. Oh, just instantly take myself rough. out of the fight. This would have been, he's just like dead. <laughs> he would have gone down to three health instantly. <laughs> what a time to uber crit and spell reflect. Yeah. I have a question. Yes. Now that he did the damage to the base of the red thing over there, is it obliterated like off the board or is it just still um, kind of there? Cause successfully shattered the orb, but you can still see red eyes in some of the shards that are on the ground. There's okay. still a presence there, but the connection is weakened significantly. Is there any way that we can evaluate the portals to see if we can either close them or destroy them? I will go. I think the portals might be tied to the runes on the southern area. Okay, so Issa, you rolled a six. That's excellent. So you definitely know what's oh, going yeah. on. Oh yeah, Issa knows. Yeah, so you're able, to, I do. you're able to hear cause very clearly, and you get the impression that the portals themselves seem to be connected to basically everything that's red in the room seems to have some kind of connection to it. So Irakon Sol seems to be energized by it and communicating to it and connected to it. And the Dream Eater and the Constrictor and the Mind Bane seem to be gaining instructions from this red swirl that's circling around. And the gigantic eight foot wide red lash that's wrapped all the way up around the third moon that's being pulled dangerously closer and closer. All of it seems to be connected. Quick, burn the red books. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and everyone looks over at V, the red guy, like, coming up next after cause is Armando. Can I say that to Armando, no. though, so that Armando knows what we're thinking? You rolled a six. You can communicate that as you wish. I want all of them to know to kill anything that's red. Get rid of the glass shards. Get rid of the runes. Get rid of the portals. Anything we can do to get rid of all of those. You communicate that, and Armando receives that information. Armando, what do you do? I am going to shout out, I will protect you as you guys are attacking, and I will do a shield block. <laughs> so essentially, I'll raise my mighty shield, and anyone that is in melee range of me, Leo, Isa, V right now, gets five less damage when mm. they're attacked, reflects five damage back to attacker if they roll a five or six. Excellent. And I will try to stay with the majority of the group. So people move around the room. I'll just go to wherever the biggest pocket is. Okay. So, And the good news of these kinds of abilities is at the moment you activate the ability, the people that receive the effect have that effect persist with them through their okay. turn. So it, cool. until your next turn, that's what happens to people in your current range. Okay, so it's then I'll activate it, and it's Leo, Issa, and V will have it then. And also, if he rolls a five or a six, it reflects it back to the attacker. Let's see what happens here. There we go. Yes! Woo! Ladies yes! and gentlemen, it Woo! happened! Oh, our Armando did indeed roll a five, which means that he raised his mighty shield with the tenacity of every titan he's led uh, and bled with. And he indeed shields the four of you that are together for five damage for the next round, and it reflects back five damage to whoever strikes you. That is insane. A round of applause for our brother Amon. That is a titan. That is a titan. All right, coming up next, we have Leo. Mad sprint, and I it's will happening. run around the room. I'm going to chuck daggers at everything red and the enemies. <laughs> Do you target Irakon Saul? No, no, I don't deny. That's Thank <laughs> El Shaddai. <laughs> like, oh, God, oh, God. Everything oh. red except him. <laughs> I'd like to point out that I would be at negative 7 HP had I targeted him. It's just true. Issa, your sacrifice was not in vain. It's true. <laughs> Uh, oh, really? With that, the Constrictor and the Mind Bane and the remaining shards of the Seeing Glass do indeed take a hefty 13 damage. The Mind Bane shrieks out in agony, as does the Constrictor. The dagger does indeed crush and serrate several more of the eyes that seem to be kind of
kind of manifesting from the shattered globe, their effect on the room seems to be almost nothing at this point. You can still kind of see them, but there's no power emanating from the globe anymore. At that moment, the mind bane is super not cool with you doing ouchie times to it. His tentacles erupt in this red beams of lightning energy, and I would like for everyone in the room to roll a standard d6 defense. This is an aura-based attack that he's doing upon your consciousness. Little does right. he know oh. he's gonna kill himself. <laughs> oh, poor Leo. Leo! Wait a minute. I go. mean, man, I don't even know. All right. Like... Um, so it, it's, it's, it strikes you for a mighty 12 damage, and those of you that rolled a 1 would be adding 3 to that. Three Except to we have it's 5 left five. damage because of Armando. Thank El Shaddai for Armando lifting his shield mightily and reflecting. And he takes like 15 damage from reflect damage. It's true. Those four Armando, V, Isa, and Leo. You guys have the reflect on you. So it reflects back to him 20 damage. Oh, um, so that's now you guys do still take damage, but some of it's reflected back. And the Mind Bane is hit so freaking hard by its own damage coming back to it from Armando's shield that it literally knocks him back into the portal. He squeals, he retches, and the portal closes behind him, and he is no more. Yay. Armando, that was freaking awesome. Does that affect Iracon? You could see Iracon cry out, and he goes, Why don't the guests just make themselves comfortable? You're here to watch something beautiful, I promise. And with that, it is indeed V's turn. All right, I'm back at it. Hoorah. Issa needs some help real bad. <laughs> yeah, I actually... So I'm going to heal Issa. I'm going to use my Cascade. Ooh. No bueno. I'm so good. Three health comes back towards you. We desperately needed the help, so the timing was good there. Coming up next, we have Issa. What do you do? Seeing that the other portal went away when the one guy was killed, I really want to kill the Constrictor because he's almost dead. And I'm going to do my Sniper's Wrath for the final time in this round. Excellent. Roll it out. As you're doing that, the Dream Eater here is scurrying close to you on the ground, and you see that he's trying to latch onto your leg and tear it off of your body, and you're able to strike him just before that happens. And I rolled 10. Ooh, all right. And right before he's about to lash onto your ankle and rip your leg off, he cries out, and he spits out a red bile upon the ground that does not look liquid. It's something different. It looks like nightmares that are swimming through the liquid, nightmares that you recognize from you that he was about to inject into you. And he sprays the ground with your nightmares that you reject wholeheartedly. Cause, what do you do? Mortal Archon. Oh, it's happening. But my target damage is going to go to the runes on the ground Okay. for 12, and then I'll blow up the Dream Eater. Excellent. So the Dream Eater explodes, and while you're in this kind of ethereal state, you are able to see this Dream Eater's thoughts and memories. It is an information overload. Your mind is exploding, just seeing a thousand nightmares at once. And you see your nightmares, you see the nightmares of V and Armando and Issa, Leo. You see the nightmares of Irakon Saul. Roll me a d6 real quick. Let's see how deep you can penetrate his thoughts here. Okay, that's enough. You are able to see a terrifying moment that keeps replaying in your mind over and over and over, and it is the moment that your, Irakon Saul's daughter, dies in your arms again and again and again and again, and your tears of blood paint her face, and the moment rewinds, and then she dies in your arms again, and your tears of blood paint her face, and it rewinds again, and it cycles through your mind constantly again and again, and in your mind and in your heart, you look up and you see Ari crying as she falls to her knees, begging for forgiveness again and again and again, and you, Irakon Saul, build up a rage in your heart and a fire within your eyes that you will end pain. 
And with that, you rematerialize into yourself, and it's like a thousand years have passed with the nightmares you've experienced, and you catch your breath and stumble to the ground as you try to process what you just experienced emotionally. I feel like he would just totally collapse. He <laughs> does. Like... It is overwhelming. And, yeah, I probably fell to my knees for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you are heaving in pain due to the horrors that you have experienced in a lifetime and an eternity of torment in a moment. Did I damage the runes? The runes glimmer and glisten, and they flash white for a moment and then back to red. You pierced something about those runes. Coming up next, we have Armando. Well, this seems to be going well. I'm going to do another shield block Mm -hmm. (laughs) with all of the folks next to me. So, Kaz, Issa, and V. Issa's down to 8 health. Kaz is down to 11 health. It's looking rough. And you rolled a... None of 5 or 6. That's fine. The first one did a crazy amount of good. So, you rolled a 4. That's better than average. So, those of you that are close to Armando, Issa, V, Kaz, for the next round, you take 5 less damage. Thank God for our Titan Armando. We've definitely needed that. Good tank stuff. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. At that moment, the Constrictor is super interested in making you guys not alive anymore, and he lashes out with all of his many tentacles, and he seems to envelop all of you. He's about 12 feet tall, and he's got a bajillion arms. Wow. And he starts to tighten around your necks and your chests, and it starts to dent your armor, Armando, and I would like for Armando, Issa, V, and Kaz to roll a standard D6 defense. Ooh, all right. Nice. Armando, you were ready for this junk, um, and you rolled a six. Holy crap, V rolled a one. Oh my gosh, V is Cause rolled a one. Rolls with me. This is not good. Cause rolled a one. V rolled a one. Issa rolled a two. As usual. I'm already on the ground, so you know. I'm almost okay. dead. Exactly. It's rough. All these it's rough. Uh, but thankfully, you take five less damage due to Armando's god amazing timing of shield blocking right before this hell fell oh, upon that's you. That's true. First of all, thank you, Armando. Round of applause. Armando. Blocking damage is like healing. God bless did you. you. Say true all I did, did all I true? did was decide to do my job. That's all I'm going to say. Exactly. Oh my god. All right. Um, so, so with What's that, that? Uh, so, so with that, oh, this is not good. Oh, uh, it is 14 points of damage minus the five because he shielded you. So it's nine. So nine points, and then calculate for your defense. I'm a negative one. Okay, your health is zero. East's health is zero. Kaz's health is zero. V, what are you at? What? I rolled a one. Yeah, you take three extra, yes. So I have nine health. Holy crap. Isa, you are unconscious. You clutch your chest as the life is sucked out of you. Cause you are indeed unconscious as well, and it's looking rough. So at this moment, you have your first saving throw. Isa, go ahead and roll me a 1d6. This is a moment. God help her. <laughs> Praise El Shaddai. God is good. Okay. Ooh, oh, no. All right, guys. Good news, bad, bad news. news. <laughs> good news, bad news. Issa, you're barely able, through sheer force of will and the blessing of El Shaddai himself, you're able to barely <gasps> breathe yourself back to one health, Issa. Cause, strike one. Cause is still down at zero health, and he's not looking good. Next up, we have Leo. Can I attack the vial? <laughs> uh, you can. That is possible. All right. Now, this would be rough for most people, but you are a rogue. You are crazy agile. It is dangling about 40 feet up in the air by a chandelier. All right. So we're going to do some wall jumping. We need you at this moment. We need you, brother. (laughs) Parkour. Um, Okay. Parkour. 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 Uh, parkour. Real parkour. Not like what Armando is doing. Like legit. (laughs) (laughs) Too soon. 
too soon. And he's doing it like extra on purpose, and, and then he looks over at Armando occasionally. He's just like doing some flips in between his wall jumps. Um, no. <laughs> that got me. I should not have been drinking during that moment. That got me. <laughs> yeah, so I'll do a sky strike, though. So I'll pounce upon my prey from range, taking advantage of aerial momentum. So I'll just leap over your console for the heck of it. Fantastic. That you can. Uh, do you so attack your console? No, I do not. A do rogue not. with intellect. I love it. <laughs> Seems unwise. I'm All right. glad we learned that right away. Uh, that was very <laughs> that was very helpful. Oh wait, he says uh, not, Oh wait, you did get up. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I don't feel as bad saying that. All right. All right. It's a uh, nine damage. Okay, that's perfect. So with that, you are able to strike the vial perfectly, and the glass that was containing this red liquid shatters, and this red liquid is free from its confines. And as it falls down, it almost becomes a red starlight. That as it approaches Ari, it slowly turns white, and it falls upon her. <gasps> And she breathes back a fresh life that she has not experienced as her eyes begin glowing a bright white. You've not seen her eyes glow bright white since you met her in the desert. She seems restored. She starts awake, and where do you land? Do you land near her? What do you do? I was thinking I might, like, sit up That's on fine. the chandelier. Just kind of perched, uh, Catman style. No, That's sure. perfect. <laughs> Good. So you remain perched on the high ground. Obi-Wan will be proud. So Ari stands up for the first time truly herself in this trilogy. And her eyes glow a bright white, and she sees things differently. She begins levitating behind Irakon's Saul, and she says, Irakon, what you want will not bring your daughter back. And Irakon, shocked by this, uh, whips around to her and says, Neither could you, and you will feel the punishment, and then you will feel nothing. For if there is no life, there is no pain. He reaches out with a strong hand of wreathed flame and tries to envelop Ari in a flame that she casts off for the first time. She levitates all the way over him, back over here, and she casts a protective shield that seems to emanate across half of the room, attempting to shield you from the hell that is to come. And she is fully activated. Coming up next, we have V. Ari looks to you, and her glowing eyes lock with your holy eyes, sends a thought to you, and she says, Irakon has only known pain. Perhaps what he needs is something different. Oh. I can't heal cause. And I couldn't affect him anyway if I cast like an AoE heal, right? He causes on his own. He's got to roll it out. Issa does have one health. Issa needs heals. Armando could also use some love. Oh, he does. Oh, okay. Man, when'd you take damage? I'll do my AoE then. And Ari's at one health, so it's it's a rough day. Oh Sorry. no. What? Yeah, so I will cast my AoE Burst of Light. So you call forth the Spirit of Righteousness to strengthen an ally, healing 2d6 plus 4 to all allies in the target's melee range. And I'm going to target Ari then. Yeah, it's a tight enough room. Oh, it's happening. So the healer did something. That's big. That is that is huge. That is huge. Yeah, Joke. So, so everyone's job now. Yes, seriously. V is activated. It You've is had time. this the whole game? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, it's interesting here. When this ability casts, it seems that the ability only finds one foe in the room, and that is the Arcane Constrictor. It appears that the explosion of holy light that emanates throughout the room does indeed restore 13 health to all friendlies in the room, and as you do that, it seems to crack the red shield emanating around Irakon Saul. Ah. 
divine healing. And it is Issa's turn. I'm going to flat out kill the constrictor. Yes, just, please. I'm just going to kill him. Quick shot. his head. Ooh, rolling good now. We're feeling the <laughs> adrenaline, baby. All right, so Issa, you get to describe exactly how you peg this sambuch with your ability. I jump up and I leap and I hop off of Armando's shoulder and I shoot him straight in the head. That is beautiful. Roll me a d6, Armando. Let's see if you can assist with like a really cool like like, lunge. Through. All right. So Armando <laughs> rolls over. Rolling a one. Rolls over. <laughs> so Armando he rolling a one. cool. So Armando wasn't ready for you to do something so insanely awesome. Uh And um, though he is a mighty titan, he seems so drained by him lifting his shield and reflecting so much damage and protecting so many people. He was not expecting for you to do a triple backflip off of his shield. And he's like, whoa, as you do this insanely cool thing over him. Um, You're still on your feet, Armando, but you're you're kind of like wiggling a little bit in, in crazy anticipation of how awesome that was to watch. Round of applause for Issa and a freaking awesome move. As you do that, the constrictor takes a mighty bolt directly through the one eye that it has. It screeches in wretched pain and it gets kicked back through the portal and the portal indeed does close. Yay! And it is now Kaz's turn. So he has cackling fire energy around him. The red lightning fire orb, that's that's weird. It, it doesn't look like normal arcane. I'm going to try to roll charm. Okay. Approach him with his fire energy out and all okay. his flames and fire. Mm-hmm. And even if he burns me okay. or sets me on fire, I will say it's not what she would have wanted. Mm-hmm. It's not her dream. Beautiful. So as you do that, his mind seems torn. He's enraged. He's on the verge of tears. He's frustrated. And as you both look up, you see that this red moon, one of the three moons of Terith, is crashing so close. It is within a minute of almost making impact with the planet of Terith. Even if he attacks me or grabs me or pushes me, I will actually just try to give him a hug. Even if he lights my body Mm. on fire. Oh, this is powerful. So Kaz, an arcanist who's terrified of fire, who wielded fire once specifically to help break the vision's orb that was connecting Irakon to a far darker power, Kaz approaches the high arcanist wreathed in flame. I'll tell him it's not what she would have wanted. It's not her dream. It's your nightmare that holds you back. And I'll give him a hug and say... Mm. She would have wanted better for you. That's beautiful. And I'm going to reward you an inspiration dice. That was powerful. Thank you, Kaz. It fractures almost to the point of breaking completely this red shield that he's woven around himself, wreathed in flame. And as you hug the very edge of his injured and casted leg, likely evidence of the battle that claimed his daughter, he looks down at you and he says, it cannot be true. If there is no life, there is no pain. And I'm trying to save the world from the pain that I feel. He looks down at you further and he says, young one, you do not know what I have been through. You do not know what I have done and nothing that I can do can heal it. I'll look up at him and go, but she still loved you through it. She would still love you. 
and I'll just keep holding onto his foot. He reaches down and tries to clench his pink ribbon he gifted his daughter, and he fumbles it to the ground, and in a moment his eyes go wide as he seems disoriented. And it is Armando's turn. Actually put my shield back in a non-threatening manner, and also in my weapons too. I'm going to go approach. I'm going to pick up my ribbon and hold it up to him and just say, no one is too far from redemption. Um, and I'm going to then do a champion's roar, but I'm going to do it kind of not just for us, but directed at him too, mm. to try to push him in that direction. Mm. Beautiful. With that, he looks down and he sees that you also have a ribbon. And as he sees it, you both glance at it for a moment and you see that the remaining black marks on the ribbon seem to glow white as they disappear and his breath catches in his chest and he goes, <laughs> you were able to keep your oaths and I was not. I have broken many of my oaths, hence the black of the ribbon, but now they are gone. It is proof that no one is too far away from redemption. Hmm. His hand is quivering as he's still reaching up towards the heavens, just ripping this mighty red lasso that seems to be wrapped around the moon, and he's pulling it down to the planet, and he looks up at it, and he looks down, and he looks over at the shattered glass uh, with the red eyes staring at him, and he's deeply conflicted, and it is Leo's turn. Iracon, I... Your pain is far greater than anyone should ever know. But... Without pain, the world wouldn't know joy. Evil and, and good have to coexist. Pain and joy have to coexist. Otherwise, you wouldn't know the difference. When you have something good, you wouldn't recognize it. And while it's a difficult reality to embrace, it's one we must because life must continue. All good should not be snuffed out because sometimes evil happens. All joy should not be snuffed out because sometimes pain happens. But I understand why you might want to do this. I've had many pains of my own. There's still something worth being here for. There's still a chance for you to have something, even though you feel like there's none. And he looks up at the moon that he's tearing down into the realm of Terrath, and he looks at you. He looks frantic. His grip lessens upon the tether, and the stars underneath the dais, underneath his feet that he's levitating on top of, seem to swirl faster and faster, and then rewind in time and faster and faster as he keeps oscillating with pain and hope and fear and regret, and every emotion is bubbling up to the surface. And Ari descends the steps, her eyes glowing with a white ray of hope. She looks at you and says, my friend, I need a strength from you that I have never asked before. Will you help me do the impossible? Mm. I'll agree to help her out any way she needs. And she says, the High Arcanist, my friend, Irakan Saul, has known only pain for the last decade. Perhaps you and I can offer him something different. She reaches out her hand for yours. I'll grab her hand. She sheds a single tear and she smiles at you as the two of you begin levitating up into the air and your minds are linked perfectly in a harmony and a peace that you have not known since you last saw your father. 
and with an explosive force of holy healing energy, the two of you reach out your right hands together and absolutely blast him with a level of healing and grace that he has never known. And the red barrier that encircles him completely shatters. And he cries out with a loud voice, Is it possible? And he collapses to the ground onto his knees as he's desperately reaching out for the pink ribbon in front of him. And in that moment, as he loosens his grip upon the tether that was pulling the moon down to the earth right before the moon was just about to crash into the surface and obliterate all life on Terrath, the moon seemed to stop. And the red that was encircling the entirety of the room and the red of the portal that remained seems to ignite with a holy righteous white fire and a radiance completely explodes and destroys the far half of the observatory and you can gaze down upon the battlefield and in a moment the remaining arcane golems that were crushing and destroying your friends your allies and your beloved loved ones seem to stop in their tracks and hunch over and collapse to the earth all at once and as Irakon Saul falls to the ground, his red robe slumps down around his shoulders. And you see that underneath he had a white shirt that was knitted for him by his beloved wife all those years ago, that is torn and ripped and mended a hundred times. And you see that as the robe falls and the white of his shirt glistens in the sunset, he reaches and clutches the pink ribbon of his daughter to his chest, and he says, I am so sorry, my beloved. I am so sorry for the pain that I have brought to so many, and I do not deserve anything but the death that I am owed, and I am willing to face that now. And in that moment, as that happens, Sanctus and Father Jenna fly through the white light that exploded through this half of the room. Father Geno says to Irakon, old friend, all is not lost for you. So I'm gonna walk up to him and I'm gonna circle around to the side where Father Geno is. So I'm standing in the light. He's on his knees. He's broken and defeated okay. and So I'm crying. gonna sink down to my knees in front of him. And being a woman, especially since he's lost his daughter and his wife, it's different and I'm going to put my hands on his shoulders and tell him to look at me. And then I'm going to tell him, it is a powerful man of character that is so passionately devoted to those that he loves. And it is so easy to tip the balance into a place of pain and wrath and harm. It takes an even stronger man to realize that it's okay to let go and instead relish the love that was given to him by those that are the closest to his heart. <sighs> you are still deserving of redemption. And today, through everything that you have gone through, you are still a man of worth and deep, powerful heart. That even though wrong has been done, and you cannot undo the past. It doesn't mean that you cannot have a valuable 
powerful, beautiful future and hold the memories deep in your heart and let them feed your soul as you go on. Then I'm going to let him go and I'm going to step back and I'm going to look at Father Jeno and I'm going to nod at him and I'm going to step away. Beautiful. And Irakon Saul, he's defeated and broken on his knees, clenching his daughter's pink ribbon to his wife's shirt that she knit for him. And he looks up at you and says, I cannot believe what you have spoken, but I do hope that someday I will. He cries bitterly. And with that, Sister Ari and Father Geno and Sanctus gather around him. And Father Geno and Sanctus and Ari place their right hand upon him. And Father Geno prays and he says, El Shaddai, you are capable of things beyond any of us. You are able to heal that which cannot be healed. You are able to bring back that which is lost. And you see far broader than we ever could. And I ask you in this moment that you will touch this man with a healing and with a hope in his heart that he has needed far longer than he could say. Almighty El Shaddai, I pray that you will touch him with a vision of the future that can be more than the darkness and the pain that he has felt. And I beg you that you will do for this man what you have done for me and given me a hope that is not of this world and a forgiveness that is beyond my ability to forgive. And Sanctus and Ari pour a righteous white energy of healing into Irakon as he weeps bitterly and begins to rise. And Father Geno looks at Irakon and says, Brother, it has been far too long. And while there is much that must be done for your heart and mind, there is much that the world also requires of your crimes. And Father Geno looks at Sanctus, and Sanctus looks back at Father Geno. And Sanctus, with the wave of his hand, binds Irakon Saul's hands behind him as he takes him captive. And Father Geno says, Old friend, we will return you to your home in Sanubis from so long ago, and you will receive the trial that is just for your crimes. And it is my prayer that there may yet be hope for you. And Irakon Saul looks into Father Geno's eyes and he says, I do not know if it is possible, but one can hope. And in that moment, as the six of you gather around Irakon Saul, you gaze out across the horizon and you indeed are able to see far off in the distance the beauty of a radiating city that symbolizes the light and the best of the world. And that is where you return to celebrate. That is where you return to live. And before you leave, out of the corner of your eye, you see the eruptions of many portals that are not the red that you're used to, 
but they seem to be flickers of white light. A different, strange kind of portal. And a large one opens up right in front of you. And you gaze into the portal and your eyes seem mystified at first. As you look closer, you see a figure emerge and your eyes widen as you see a being that you've never seen before. And this being we will explore in the next adventure. Heroes of Providence Eternal. The story continues by you in your new legend at heroesofprovidenceeternal.com. I need healing. Low initiative. Sorry. All right. So, Currently uh, smoking, please. Could you exactly? Fires. That's the choice um, you made. Don't stand in the fires, please. <laughs> uh, so, in, in the final moments that remain before we close this chapter completely, um, all of you are able to travel back to the arcane city of Sunubis, and you're finally able to meet back at the tavern. Now, we're not going to show the map here, but you're able to meet back at the um, the Wise Owl Tavern where this adventure began, and uh, you're finally able uh, to t speak with each other a, a little bit and share with each other what your ulterior motives were for this particular adventure and cause. You get to go first what was your ulterior motive for this final third chapter of the genesis trilogy to treat someone like sacris would and i believe i did that twice so mm -hmm. i don't know i wow. did with his brother <laughs> the complaint about the heels i think oh i didn't I say i treated v like that i said <laughs> i treated two other people like sacris <laughs> oh a round of applause for cause achieving his ulterior motive yeah. fantastic that's wonderful up next brother v uh, and as you're all kind of drinking around in the bar and the music is lively and the guy over at the piano is playing with his feet the dwarf i know what it is yeah it's, it was to not heal cause, right? You got it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let him die at least twice. At least twice. I was looking for a memento of the adventure we went on, like a jewel or something like that, but got wrapped up and I forgot to do it. There are plenty of red jewels that were shattered and seemed to be neutralized of their negative power. That's when um, I was like, oh, let's grab one, and then I forgot to. Uh, here we I go. got wrapped up trying to heal people. So... <laughs> Here's what happened. Sister Ari, being a priest, noticed the strange nature of the red gems of the, that seeing orb, and she pocketed one. And as you're at the pub later, she kind of shows it to you. It's hers. It's not yours. But that gem could kind of work a little bit into the future of having a gem to remember it by. Um, she grabbed two, and she might give one to you at the beginning of the next adventure. But you kind of, you kind of have a gem. Um, and okay. it would be it would be super interesting for priests to look into what was driving that red gem and right. what those red eyes were on the other side of the seeing glass. So who knows what could happen there. Coming up next, we have the mighty Titan who saved our butts time and time and time again, Brother Armando. My alternative motive was to find redemption, which I was successful in doing at the very end of the battle. Mm, that's beautiful. And he happened to have a ribbon similar to yours. And of all people, you were the right one to provide wisdom and direction in that delicate moment for him. A round of applause for the successful and triumphant Armando. And coming up next, we have the wonderful Leo. Please tell us about your ulterior motive. Our mighty rogue who, holy crap, the amount of damage and combos that the And the number team... of ones. And the number of ones. It's, it's weird. It's like when everyone supported you and buffed your damage, you did amazing. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. But, but when you went rogue, 
You roll uh, one. Uh, so uh, what Lulio? My ulterior motive was to do over 50 damage in one turn. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, no, no, no. Uh, my ulterior motive was just to basically pick a sweet magic item off the tower, because I remember last time we mentioned right at the end that we were going to this mysterious tower. I was like, there's got to be some magic stuff there. But I got totally caught up in the story and totally forgot, so... For- just a bad. There was no. I didn't even get close to accomplishing it. <laughs> and last but not least, lovely Miss Aesop. What was your ulterior motive that you share with everyone around the glasses of ale back in the pub together? My goal was to have a meaningful conversation with Iracon mm. in the hopes uh. that we wouldn't be killing him. So it was like by the squeak of my very tail <laughs> that I was like able to do that. <laughs> you were the one that were able to speak directly to his daughter's need. That, yeah. that desperate need. You you knew and you brought it up and that was beautiful. Uh, a round of applause for the victorious. Yay! So with that, ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude our very first trilogy of the Heroes of Providence Eternal. A round of applause for Kaz, V, Armando, Isa, and Leo for their amazing work. We look forward to your adventure and you deciding what comes out of that white portal for your particular adventure. We have some ideas and we're very excited to share them with you in our next trilogy. But for the time being, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about the land of Terrath, uh, the Heroes of Providence Eternal characters, and all the cool stuff about what we're doing here with this initiative, please visit this is the website, heroesofprovidenceeternal.com. Be sure to like and share all of our fun stuff and take a look at all the amazing behind-the-scenes videos of each of these wonderful developers talking about their characters, the development process, the many cultures that are vibrant throughout the world. And we look forward to expanding the world and developing much more of it with you in the many adventures to come. So we would like to officially say goodbye to our wonderful friends that have joined us for this storytelling session. We love you dearly. El Shaddai bless you. And we hope that you have a wonderful adventure to come. Bye-bye! Bye! And big kiss! Mm. (laughs) (laughs) If you've enjoyed watching our heroes experience this unique Genesis campaign, imagine how much more fun it'll be with you in control. Download your free adventure guide now at heroesofprovidenceeternal.com If you want to help us build the world of hope together, please consider supporting us on Patreon. To connect with other heroes, join us on social media. To explore the world of Terrath and create your own legend, visit heroesofprovidenceeternal.com. If you've enjoyed this audio-only podcast version of our adventure, feel free to explore the visual version complete with maps, character performances, and beautiful artwork in the video version on YouTube at heroesofprovidenceeternal.com.